everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants, and I'm Tanning Grace, as always, enjoyed by Ross Merriam, and uh, today we got a couple cool things for you. We got previews, um, I feel like I say that almost every episode now, for, <laughs> for, for, for preview cards for the new set for Magic, the D&D, um, what is it, Into the Forgotten Realms, or Adventures, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. <clears throat> um, we've got that going on, uh, we'll be patting ourselves on the back a little bit towards the beginning of the show, which is a nice change of pace from the last one, where I had to have my, uh, my apology... Yeah, my mea culpa, yeah, at the beginning of, of, of the episode, but before we get into that, Ross, you been up to anything fun in the last week? Yeah, I've been uh, having a, a great time here in Roanoke, you know, people just hanging out. Last mm-hmm. night we had uh, 13 people show up for trivia. Oh, was it, y'all like dialed back the clock a little bit too in Roanoke, it's like it's like 2014 again, right? Like Brad's back, Todd's back, yep. like. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, Brad, Brad and Amber just got back, so the, the group of people here is is very large again. When we had when we had that size group show up for trivia yesterday, we I I'm I came up with what I thought was an efficient and fair solution. I I divided the other twelve of them into two teams of six, and then spent half the time with one of the teams of six and half the time with the other, which is also nice because the place we were at does they basically do two rounds of of trivia, but each one has separate prizes, so it's like two different is, games. Is that bar that you and I went to, or like bar restaurant? No, this we is a bar to? that opened recently. A okay, brewery, I actually. I was doing something similar while I was there. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of a lot of bar trivia. We actually went out today as well and won mm-hmm. uh, in a much smaller group, only three people. Uh, okay. But uh, I was I I bef- yeah. After we won, I was trying to think of of my tally of bar trivia over the last few weeks as, as we've been able to go out again. And I think I've played thirteen games of bar trivia and have six firsts, six seconds, and a third. Just just make it up for lost time. Uh, yeah, speaking just farming of having... Roanoke bar trivia for that you know twenty five dollars at a time. Yes, you can make a career of it. Speaking of uh, having fun in Roanoke, I heard that one Jim Davis is going to be coming down uh, sometime soon to hang out and have some he, fun. He has an open invitation and very loose plans to do that at some point, um, well, but no, nothing has been set in stone yet. Well, I gave him some more motivation for it because I told him I was like, if you go. Tell me the dates, and I will do everything in my power to also show up for that weekend. Um, we're gonna like you know talk about playing around at golf while we're there, hanging out. Uh, you know he could probably be on versus live. I probably cannot. I'm not a big enough name, et cetera, et cetera. And stuff. Uh, but, he works for cool stuff, so I doubt he can be on versus live. <laughs> I don't know. He said something about it. I'm just I'm just saying what I heard because he was he was streaming, and I popped into stream for a second, and he he was he was like. He had played golf that day, and I asked him. I asked him, I was like, "Hey, how did you hit him, or whatever?" You know, he's like, "He's like I had a pretty decent day." He said he shot like exactly a hundred, which I mean, if you don't play golf a lot, that's still a pretty good day on the course. Yeah. You know, he said he like that's still like you know a little bit over bogey golf. And I joked with him because he was like, "Yeah, I don't know if I can keep up with you." And I was like, "Well, you haven't seen me play or hit a ball recently, and I've played maybe two times the last like I can, I can remember the last two rounds I played. Uh, I played a round." Uh, not the November this past, but the November before that, because it was super freaking cold. I remember like wearing multiple layers to play a round of golf. And then uh, my bachelor party, we played a round of golf in New Orleans early in the morning. So that was, what, five years ago, four years ago? I can't remember. I'd have to ask my wife. She's she's the one that keeps <laughs> up with that stuff. And that's the last couple of rounds of golf I have. I don't have a full set of clubs anymore. Like I broke one. And then I lost one, and like I need an, I need new clubs anyway, and stuff. So like I, I told, and, and then if I come up there to play, I'm probably borrowing a set or renting a set at the course anyway. So I was like, I was like, you got a, you got a good shot at keeping up. But 
I'm saying that just so we can hustle him a little bit. If he wants to have a little fun, maybe you know, put a little something on the on the round, and then and yeah, then, uh, yeah. and then course management Tannen's gonna come out and just <laughs> play really boring golf and beat him. Play like ten dollars a stroke or something. No, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that here's the, here's the funny part. Whatever bet we made, especially if I beat him bad, I wouldn't make him pay it. I, I do it just to like you know have something for it. You make people you know play and care and stuff. But if especially this, like you just don't want to see anybody get aggravated or like not have fun. You know what I mean? Five dollars a stroke. Yeah, whatever. It'd give him a few. Yeah. Even though I have I haven't played in a bajillion years. I, I'll tell you this. I am definitely even when I do play, like it's it's one of the things I, I'm I have fun because I'm out there like playing. But then you get really frustrated because you're like, this used to be very easy for me. I used to hit like great shots in all these spots, and uh, ooh, I'm gonna fan myself off here a little bit. People at home can't see this. But <laughs> Ross is undoing his shirt a little bit, and yeah, uh, I un- unbuttoned a button. It is it is very hot here in Roanoke, and it just got really hot in here. which, yeah. which just happened. <laughs> the o- the only air conditioning I have in my apartment is in my bedroom, so I, oh, I imagine the I'm living aware. room I'm sitting in right now is maybe high 70s, low 80s at best. Ross, why don't we move this to the bedroom? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a simple, simple, easy. And then you I can have, actually do the show from in there too, you know. Yeah, I've, I have no, I have nowhere to sit in there, unfortunately. You don't have a bed in your. I'm just yeah, so but like, confused right now. How am I going to put a mic and a, like a laptop down? Yeah, I, I get like you need, you need a harder surface. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, speaking of the heat, I actually had a fun moment in the heat today where um, I had already like played with my dog, took her on a walk, and everything today. And she was like begging to go outside in the backyard. And I was like, I didn't think she needed to use the restroom. She'd already been. But I was like, maybe, you know, she drank a bunch of water, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so I walk out with her because like, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm going to walk out with her. If she's the bathroom, I'm going to get her to come right back inside because I had stuff to do and I can't just like leave her out there. And she turns at a 90 degree angle to my right and just starts sprinting. Right. And uh, my wife has one of those like above the ground garden things, but it hasn't been planted yet. So it's like just the, uh, the terrarium. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, as I say, we, we, we have a terrarium in the house, but it's like one of the ones that's like in a little, like more the, the art, artisty one, like ones inside, you know what I'm talking about? Like they look really cool. Anyway, so the dog, she runs up in there, starts running around that thing. She just gets the zoomies. You know what the zoomies are, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently like a, terrarium like is, is confined. It's like, yeah, a, I, was, I, was, I, was like I was pretty sure you were wrong, but I'm not going to yeah. correct you after like, especially well, if your boasts about. You if know, you notice, I wasn't saying it very confidently. I was like, is yeah, that... I saw the look on your face, and I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're wrong, but like, it, I'm always going to defer to you if, if one of us, is, if both yeah. of us are unsure. But uh, so she I'm runs in there, from runs around that, and it starts running laps around my, around my yard, and that's not really that big of a deal normally. But it rained today, and you've seen my dog, <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. So when she came in, it was like normal Benny from like what would be like her, her waist to the side, you know, like the middle of her up. Yeah. And then below that was just like black. <laughs> it was just dark. So I had to like grab her like before she ran inside, pick her up, and then go put her in the tub and like wash her, like give her a nice like washing and and then drying my dog off. If anybody has seen my dog, is also a, uh, a a full time endeavor. It's not very easy, you know. It's like I, I don't just rub a towel over and I'm like, yeah, you're done. My dog has more hair than Ross and I combined. So yeah, especially more than Ross, but you know, even more than me too. But <laughs> Sorry, buddy. I'm in a zinger mood. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know what it is. I'm, it's, I, pro- I just ate a meal, and that's probably it. I've had a, I've been tired all day today. I actually tweeted about it. I am incapable. I don't know what it is. I'm, like, physically incapable of taking naps. Are you a nap person? Like, can you do it? Uh, I can, but it usually doesn't go that well. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a good napper. 
Yeah, you have the. Do you have the same problem? I do, I wake up and like sometimes I'm like more tired. I'm like groggy. I'm disoriented. I'm like, what what day is it? You know, I'm like yeah. I'm, well, I, I don't know what day it is half the time anyway. I literally had to think about this the other day. I was writing something and I had to think about what year it was. Do you ever have that for like a second where you can't? You like, I have it for the brain- first three months of every year. Yeah, <laughs> I remember like it, like little things like that. Like you know, sometimes it's just like, wait, who's the president again? Like you have to think for a second to think of the actual name, and it's something that should just like pop in your head, you know, immediately. Yeah. So. You know, all that stuff. So uh, today has been an interesting day. You know, uh, I don't know, maybe more energetic. I started, I started exercising again a little bit. I got really kind of bad about it over the last uh, month, month and a half. I think it all stemmed from being able to travel and stuff again. And like, I went on vacation and then like went out of town again. And it's really hard to make yourself like keep up with it when you're out of town. You know what I mean? You're out of your normal routine. Your sleeping's different. Your eating's different. And I don't know, I just got kind of lazy after that, too. You know, because, like, once you don't do it a few days in a row, it's like, you're done. Yeah. Oh, man. We played basketball for the first time in, in a while because a, a couple of people were out of town, and it had been raining a lot. And so we just, you know, th- maybe three weeks where we didn't play, and the first game back was abysmal. Like, the first couple of plays are okay, and then I'll play, like, six. You're like, oh, why am I breathing so heavy? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was so hard. And now we, have, we haven't played a lot since then because it's just been so fucking hot. I, I just cannot weather. move. Yeah. Is, is LeClaire still there? Has Anderson moved away yet? Uh, not yet. They move away on on Monday. How far away are they moving? I don't remember exactly where. Uh, it is. Other side of Virginia. It's like five or six hours driving. Yeah, I keep forgetting your state's gigantic. So Yeah. They're, uh, they're going to be in Newport. Yeah, if you're going to try to drive four or five hours across Louisiana, you have to do, like, the real weird thing of start, like, in the bottom right corner. And <laughs> in the toe of like, the boot? Yeah, you have to, like, and, and then meander to the top left section up towards, like, Dallas, up, to, up towards Texarkana kind of stuff. And, like, because you can just go across it, like, pretty fast or whatever, you know, like, most of the states down here, because they're all, like, vertical, you know, they're all, like, yeah. uh, you know, and I, you, I keep forgetting Virginia is, like, this big, long thing like I, I haven't driven in your part of the country too much I've, I've done most of the other except for like the flyover states but because like honestly like i mean the dakotas like come on like there's like six people there right yeah I don't know. and two yeah, of them cool. left and they're in virginia now yeah exactly i was about to say yeah exactly like two you have you have you have a couple transplants there Th- three i guess if you, if you include tory yeah true I used to like always joke about that. It's like, when did you know you were the best player in De- in the Dakotas? Was it as soon as you played your first game because you were the only person that played there? Or... <laughs> yep. Well, one of two people. So when you won, you knew you were the best. <laughs> yeah, you you it, every it goes back and forth every game. Yeah, kind of thing. So, all right. Uh, anyway, be- before we get into uh, what we wanted to talk about today, there was another thing I wanted to kind of bring up, and um. I'm trying to think of how to word this and how to say it correctly. It's just like another shitty situation that's come up with Watsy again. And it made me think about it again because this happened about a week, week and a half ago, or we were we were made aware of it. But I saw people tweeting about, um, you know, the MPL having a, what do they call the weekends again? God, I can't remember the, the damn, a split weekend or whatever, you know, where they, yeah. they play each other. They have another one of those coming up. And there's a lot going on with that. A, I can't imagine anyone's going to watch. I got to imagine it's going to be a horrible production. I feel bad for the people having to run the production, like knowing your, 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 your company, you're done, right? Like you're just knowing that this is it. Like it's over. I feel bad for the players. Cause like, what are they playing for? I know that some of the players don't even know what they're playing for. Like the ones that were in, I think rivals, they haven't actually been told like what they're actually playing for <laughs> because you know, there's, there's nothing because I, I believe the people that like move up into the MPL still get something for next year, even though it doesn't happen. Like they get at least like a base thing. You know what I'm saying? Like they still get something because of the contract or whatever. But um, who knows 
what they're going to get and what they're actually going to going to do because I don't know if you saw this but the world championships uh it it's the the prize pool is a little different than what they said. I don't know if you heard about this but uh they just stole another $750,000 from the players. Yeah, I mean they they, they had essentially what happened if if people at home are unaware is they had announced the world championships for 2020 with a million dollar prize pool. And that tournament got canceled because of the pandemic. And everyone just sort of assumed that 2021 would be the same. And when they announced the 2021 world championship, it was a $250,000 prize pool. S- sort of. There's, there's also, there's, there's an article with a lot of people linked from like a year ago or whatever, when they're talking like, the, it's called like the path to pro or something like that. I forgot the name of the article, but like some of the, some of the bigger MPL ple- people did it. And in it, it says that the world championships will have a $1 million prize pool. This is like, this is what they're playing for. It has a $1 million prize pool. And then when everything got announced for this one, it's like, no, the prize pool is a fourth of that. Yeah. And obviously this is going to piss off a lot of people, not just the players, but other people like, you know, yet again, you're just taking more and more money out of people's people's hands and stuff. You're, you're coming back on your promises, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like the thing that especially sours people, especially people who, who, who aren't directly affected by this is the fact that we just keep having to hear you know, from all the big ups in Watsi, especially with like, you know, they're trying to please their shareholders with, you know, Hasbro and everything that uh, we keep hearing the words record profits, Ross, over and over and over again over the last couple of years. Yeah. And when these cuts first started happening, everyone just sort of assumed that, you know, Hasbro and or Watsi were taking a hit because of the pandemic and were cutting costs as a result. Oh, they blamed it too. Yeah. yeah. And it, Instead, it's the exact opposite, but they're just using it as an excuse to, you know, essentially steal money away from the, these tournaments. Yeah, and I mean, I think it all comes down to this: is the fact that the writing's been on the wall for a long time. They knew that you know they weren't going to finish with the MPL, they weren't going to keep it going, blah blah blah, and they're like, well, where can we cut money? And I'm sure there's some wording. You know, people are like, don't you guys have a lawsuit? And I'm like. I guarantee you, you would never win this in a court of law because you're going up against, you know, a multi, you know, million, multi-billion dollar corporation. A, they're going to be able to like outlaw you. B, they probably have something written somewhere where it's like, this is subject to change. And you're like, in your 80 to 90 page contract that like, they don't actually owe you this. You know what I mean? Like what they owe you, the burden is like almost always on the employee everything's on them, you know, blah, blah, blah. You have to do all this. You have to do all this. You have to do all this. And we don't have to do anything unless you do your part. And then even then it's sub- it's like, it's like the Darth Vader thing on cloud cities. Like play, I pray I don't alter the deal any further. Yeah. You know, kind of thing like th- that's literally what they are. Like they're just lording it over you and they're going to, they're going to change the deal whenever they see fit and, and they're, do whatever. They're darthing it over you. Well, I mean, he's the, he's the, he is, he is like Lord, Lord Vader. Darth Vader. So yeah. yeah, he is Lord Vader. So I was there was some punning going on in there. I mean, like you know, we were we were we were mixing it up just a little bit. But uh, usually, I try to like pull my punches a little bit with Watsi because I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. There's there's no good way to spin this. There's no other way to say this. But in fact, that they literally just stole from these players, and you know, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just and, shitty. And just tried to sneak it in as part of the announcement, like nothing was askew. Yep. It's just horseshit. Yeah, like as I say that you know and. That was the big thing too, right? When they started the MPL is like one of the things they wanted to do was like, they wanted to be like, look at us. We're just like all the other esport things. So you saw all the lights, cameras in action. Like remember the first couple of events with all the people came out. It looked like a wrestling event. You know, they came out with the pyrotechnics and everything. I wanted people to do like the wrestling stuff coming out, you know, like have walkout music. But the other thing was like huge prize support, like huge, 
huge amounts of money going to these people. Because, like, let's be wrong. Uh, I, I, you know, thirty to forty, fifty thousand dollars. That is a lot of money for a human being, right? Especially in today's age, especially with people who like play magic. You know, not a lot of us are very rich, right? And I'll say that. But when you look at other prize pools for other big games in esports, you're seeing a lot of like six figure, seven figure stuff going out, and you're seeing people who winning winning the world championships and winning and winning pro tours, like your biggest events, winning like thirty to fifty thousand dollars, right? And so, like comparatively, there's that, like that cognitive dissonance, you know, that you're you're taking away where you're like there's a difference here. Like this, this other, these other people are winning these huge tournaments and winning gigantic amounts of money here. You're, you're winning a huge tournament in one of the hardest games ever invented. And you're winning pennies on the dollar versus these other sports. So like, you know, I mean, Gucci winning what 200 and something thousand or whatever, when he won his event, you know, like just winning absurd amounts for magic, but like, you know, more towards what the other uh, games are doing. And then now you're cut. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me, but I get it from a business standpoint. They're just cutting their losses where they can legally. So it's shitty. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say. So, um, I did, I did allude to some, some, um, some back padding, uh, prior to the show. Uh, I gotta say this looking at some of the results from this weekend, which I'm actually having a, a trouble getting to now because their website, again, fix your shit. Watsy. Like, get something right. Your website doesn't work. You can't talk to the people. You steal from us. Jesus Christ. Like, you're so lucky that your game is so good. I'm sorry. I just got really angry all of a sudden. But I can't even get to the results. Because every time I click see more, I'm just seeing the same thing over and over again. So, like, I have the same five things from June 28th over and over and over again on my screen. But um, if you wanted to go back and listen to last week's episode... If you want to, you know, learn about modern, hear some stuff about modern, I think it's a good re-listen if you haven't, or if you haven't listened to it, maybe listen to it for the first time, because we kind of nailed it. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we talked a lot about how the modern metagame was unfolding, and now that, you know, things were getting sort of established, right? And as it turned out, like, it unfolded in very much the ways that we expected, and, um... You know, um, yeah, like we just we just kind of hit the nail on the head with the decks that were going to be you know high performing decks. If you look at the results from last weekend, it's basically all the decks we talked about and a couple tier two archetypes sneaking in. And one of the tier two archetypes that did sneak in and won a challenge was the uh, Hammer Time deck, which I both wrote about and mentioned as a tier two deck that I think is underrated. So you know, it was a good weekend for uh, you know us having our finger on the pulse of the metagame. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice to get it right, too. You know, I, I think you, you can kind of attest to this. That last week, going into the, ep- into the episode, it's probably the most excited I've been to talk constructed on here in a long time, right? Like, you know, where I felt like I was, I had my finger to the pulse like I should. Um, I hadn't been playing a lot myself, but I've been watching a ton. I've been keeping up with, like, you know, uh, decks and cards and stuff like that. I've, I've, I really like MH2. I like what it's done to modern. I like what's going on overall. Uh, b- been interested in what's going on in Legacy and stuff like that, too. So, it was nice to kind of get it right, you know, from, from you know, because you, you have some expectations going in when you have, you're a little bit more hands-on that you're like, I, I should know this stuff a little better. You know, I'm not just, you know, spouting some random stuff, you know, kind of thing. So super excited about that. And um, speaking of some random stuff, I don't know if you've been um, looking at these D&D cards. But I have. It's kind of my I, job. I, yeah. I, I don't think random is the right word, but it's pretty cool. I got to say this. 
D&D, not my thing. I've, I've almost never played it. I'm sure I would love it, and that's one reason I don't play it. You always hear me make these jokes. I don't play certain games because I'll never leave my house if I do that. Like, I will never get anything done. I'm super obsessive. I would love to play this game, but I, I um, just kind of can't. From what I'm hearing from D&D people and people that are into it, this has, like, been kind of a flavor home run so far. You know, they're loving the names of stuff, lots of, you know, callbacks to early D&D, some of the artwork, but um, I'm really enjoying... Even though it's going to be annoying at times, I'm really enjoying the, I don't want to call them keywords, but like key phrases that are put on these cards that have to do with like, you know, like what you're actually doing with the card. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, like the ones with like, you know, treasure chest, it's like smash the chest or pry it open and like smash the chest means it's like an, it's like an ore and one of them is like, if you smash the chest, you're destroying an artifact, you pry it open, you create a treasure token and flavor wise, that's just a fucking home run in my book. And I'm not even a big D and D guy. And like this, just looks and seems really cool. Um, uh, it doesn't do anything for me. I I expected as much. It it also I, like confuses me. I mean, like it right. looks like a keyword ability, and I'm like expecting keywords to show up elsewhere, and then I don't know what's actually yeah. a keyword when the keywords actually do show up. So it's yeah. an awkward tr- transfer, and I don't like. Do they really need to put those words on it for the flavor to hit? Is that necessary? Probably, like I. I, I I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's really cool, and I think they should have done this. Like, I'm glad that they did. I will ask you this. If if this is the reaction that you're going to have, how did you feel about the first time you uh, you saw a dungeon? Um, that, I think... I was super confused. Um, no, I, th- I think that was, like, pretty straightforward, where they said, like, here's the dungeon, and, like, you venture in, and you just keep going down the path and, and triggering it. Um, it that no, all no, made me, sense it kind of happened... For me, it kind of happened like the Oko thing. You know, like I woke up in the morning, look at my phone, and the first thing I see is a card that says venture into the dungeon. And then I'm like, what the fuck's a dungeon? You know, like, remember the first time we saw Oko? We didn't know what food was for like the first two days or whatever. And then I'm seeing the dungeon thing, and it's pretty cool. So for people who don't know, is some of the cards in the set say venture into a dungeon. And I'm assuming you pick which dungeon you go into out of, because like what you get is there's three dungeon cards. And they can be in your sideboard. They don't count as sideboard cards. They're, like, outside the game, but you can, like, have these. And in them, they have a bunch of rooms. And you can kind of choose the way you want to go through the dungeon. And so when you enter the dungeon, you go into, like, the first room. And then anytime you do any instance in the game of, you know, venture into the dungeon again, you go into another room. And then when you finish them, things happen. Like, uh, one of them is when when you're at the end of it, you draw three cards, reveal them. You may cast one of them without paying its mana cost. So, you know, there's some pretty big payoffs at the end of this. And a lot of cards, we're seeing more and more cards every day that venture into the dungeon over and over again. Not too many repetitive ones, but things that either do it when they come into play or do when you do something. And then we're seeing payoffs for whenever you finish a dungeon, then you get, you know, another something. Have they said anything like, do you just grab a dungeon, like whichever one you want, or do you get specific ones? Um, Has that been announced? I, oh, so, yeah, you, you just pick whatever dungeon that you want. But once you venture into one dungeon, you're in that dungeon until you complete it, and then you can pick another one for your second dungeon or any subsequent dungeon. And you can keep repicking the same dungeon over and over again if that's what you want to do, or you can venture into a different dungeon. So you have all control over it. All right, so uh, I'm super excited about that. Uh, it looks pretty cool. Um, I don't know if it's going to make Constructed, like, it might be a little iffy on the construct side. 
definitely something really cool for limited you know another sub game to go on that's that's going on a lot of these cards are seem very good and limited to begin with that are going into the dungeon so um, maybe not something that you're going to see if there's live action you know tournaments anytime that you're going to see on coverage in the next year or two because uh, honestly i think they're just a little slow for, for typical constructed games that are you know decided in the first like five or six turns and you're like well, I'm in like the third room of my dungeon. I'm like, well, good for you. You're fucking dead, you know, kind of thing. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, when you, so the, there's two things that you get paid off for with dungeons. And the, the one that's obvious is the, you know, triggers from all the, the different dungeons, right? And we've seen those, the three that they showed us earlier, the only three, and they're pretty marginal in what they do. The last ability is usually pretty good, but still like not saying like one of them like makes a four, four or one draws a few cards. Um, you know, so you're not getting a huge impact and you're putting a lot of resources into it for those triggers. That kind of stuff is relevant and limited, just gaining that marginal advantage and, and cascading it over the course of a longer game and not rel generally not relevant and constructed because the cards are just too powerful. Um, but I think if you can build a deck with a high enough density of venture cards that you're able to get through dungeons really quickly, then the cards that pay you off that say, like, you know, get bigger for how many dungeons you've completed, or if you've completed a dungeon, it gets better, or do something, those tend to be more powerful from what I've seen. Uh, and I expect that to be the case as the rest of the set gets previewed. So if the set, if that mechanics are going to make it into constructed, I think it's going to be as a very linear parasitic mechanic where you're all in on dungeon dungeoning or venturing and, uh, you know, trying to get through as quickly as possible and get through multiple dungeons over the course of a game. But then there's the question of, like, just how quickly can you go through it? Because, you know, there's, like, a four-mana Planeswalker that will venture once a turn. There's, like, the creature with the... When you attack with six or more power, you venture once. There's another creature, green creature, that, like, lets you venture when you cast a creature or a Planeswalker, but only you can only trigger that once a turn. Uh, there's the Orzov creature that trigger like ventures when it attacks. So you've got to have multiples of these cards out to be venturing multiple times a turn. And like, you probably need to be venturing two to three times a turn in order to get through dungeons fast enough to be relevant. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I got to agree with you. Like it just, it just seems too slow to me. Definitely something I'm going to be doing unlimited, but definitely probably not something for constructive play. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to add another little line for me. If while we're going over some of these cards, if we miss some like, obvious cool D, D reference we apologize we're, we're not i don't apologize uh, at all i've never played a game of D, &D in I, my life I, I definitely apologize because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna mispronounce some word or like not know that this thing is like a huge thing in D, &D lore you know like i know a tiny bit about like uh i'm actually kind of excited so uh, another thing that's like a, a big flavor win is uh at least in my eyes is like the kind of art cards um oh god i set. hate these i think they look really cool it's something really cool for people who are super into this like I grew up reading uh, Dritz Dorden, you know, books with the drow and like the, you know, the dark elves and all that stuff. I loved, you know, Ari Salvatore as a kid. I will say the ones that are, that look like the cover of a D&D &D book kind of freak me out because they do not look like a magic card at all. Uh, like we've seen the one that's like Evolving Wilds. We've seen one that is the uh, Red Creature Land, which we'll get into in a minute about the, uh, the new Creature Lands, which are like some of the more exciting cards that have been previewed. But... Yeah, it's, you know, it's, really the, cool. it's the book ones that I'm talking about. Like, they, they yeah, look the, like the, the old school, ones, like, D&D &D books or whatever. It just yeah. doesn't look at all like a magic card. At this all. is just a continuing thing that they're doing, and I hate all of them. And every single card has, like, seven different versions now, and four different foils, and they come in three different kinds of packs. And it's just, 
it's too much. And anytime you try to criticize any individual one of them, the, everyone comes at you and says, you know, let people like things or whatever. Uh, but if you're if your only criteria for something being okay existing is like some small portion of people like it, then you're going to end up justifying over like ridiculous levels of overproduction and thus overconsumption. So you got to get outside of that mindset and realize that like something has to get thrown out in order for us to get back down to a reasonable level of production here. And those are the things that are are just very obviously the first things that would go. So you know. No, you know, so so what you're saying is normalize letting people not enjoy things. Yeah, and understand <laughs> that the, this whole let people enjoy things mantra is bullshit. Like, it's really I mean, fucking stupid. I definitely agree with it in certain ways, for sure. Like, when people get excited about things, like, it's not your place to go shit on it. You're, yeah. You're, if you don't like something, you're allowed to say, like, I don't like this. But when someone else is like, dude, I really like this thing, blah, blah, blah. Like, don't burst their bubble. Like, don't go out of your way to, like, shit on them or, what, or shit on what they like. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, let well, people enjoy things that way. It, sure. It's the, the where the mantra succeeds is in discouraging people from, you know, ridiculing others because of what their interests are, as though their interests are, are bad. The way, like, you know, magic, like, you know, nerdy hobbies were looked at as childish and nerdy, you know, many years ago before they entered more of the mainstream. Uh, you know, stuff like that, obviously, like, is bad. But, you know, when when we're all, like, when we're... that There are certain, there are certain criticisms that are outside of that scope that are still very much fair game, like the one I'm making, where we're just everybody like and I think when you when you talk about it in a in a macro sense, you tend to get agreement. Everyone's like, yeah, there's way too many different kinds of packs and different kinds of versions of cards, like it's just getting out of hand. But no one will ever let you criticize like say, well, okay, why don't we get rid of these two? <laughs> because like th then the people that like happen to like that set, whoever they are, or that that type of card, um or that type of foil, whatever, or that type of pack, whatever, whatever the hell it is, you know. So like, somebody has to lose out, and it's not the fucking regular normal Magic cards. Those are fucking staying. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you've got to you know make a choice at that point. But there's obviously no way Watsy's going to stop printing seven thousand sets a year and eight thousand supplemental products and fourteen secret layers and thirty five different kinds of foils and seventeen different kinds of packs because they're making record profits and the more they put out the more people consume. So, you know, they've realized that like they've probably been underprinting magic cards for two decades. Uh, like somebody somebody clearly figured that out and now they're just gonna keep pushing it to its limits and it's only gonna get worse. Yeah. It's funny that you bring that up because uh, I think I mentioned the last week's show, you know, I've been like buy, sell trading a little bit more in my spare time. Like, you know, I've been, you know, messing around with that, you know, miss my collection. And I've had to um, educate myself on w what all the different packs and all the different foil, you know what I mean? Like I know the difference between everything now. And I'm just like, I had to explain it to other people. And I'm like, yeah, it's easy. It's this, this, this. But like, I only think it's easy because I know it now, you know, I've already, you know, gone through all the stuff. Anyway, before we, you know, keep, you know, being old men who yell at a cloud, let's, Let's go ahead and go through a few more things. I think uh, two of the cards I want to start with were um, two cards that are... These definitely have some lore instances to them. They're, they're probably spells you can cast in DD, but it's it's two removal spells that we got previewed uh, pretty early. And one is Power Word Kill, and the other one is Portable Hole. I think both of these cards are definitely going to show up and constructed somewhere. We'll have to see where. Uh, Power Word Kill is a black instant. This is Destroy Target, non-angel, non-demon, non-devil, non-dragon creature. So this is another one of those cards that... We see this kind of in, like, 
specific sets where they have the two mana black removal spell that doesn't kill like the 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 few big things in the set. Like you know the kind of like like we had the one um, I forget the name of but it was black black you can't victim kill you have to kill a non victim of night yeah non werewolf creature and that one actually made it in constructed quite a bit and then portable hole is a one mana artifact for one white uh, when it enters the battlefield uh, you take a non land permanent opponent controls a mana two or less and uh, it, it exiles it yeah 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 until portable hole leaves the battlefield so two just very good efficient removal spells that have a very good chance of showing up in constructed somewhere especially like. You know, with decks just trying to keep up with creatures early, if there's a lot of decent, you know, aggressive creatures. It's dragon, devil, demon, and what? Uh, angel, demon, devil, dragon. So angel. So all the big mythic stuff. You know, the the big ridiculous creatures. Yeah, and not not even all of them necessarily. the the big right. The big line there is non dragon, right? With goldspan dragon. Yeah, can't kill Mari. Yeah, uh, and that you being a pretty popular deck. Yeah, you can't kill a lot of the uh, the guild leading dragons, the elder dragons from the last set or the last couple of sets that people are going to be, you know, building decks around and stuff. I think when when uh, this rotates, so power word kill might sneak in somewhere. I definitely see portable hole showing up somewhere. If, like you know, especially like maybe in sideboards of a control deck to keep up with like you know, say mono red, you know, aggro. You know, it's like they have a bunch of good one and two drops. You just want to be able to to exile them for one mana and keep up kind of thing. I mean, I, I was, when Portable Hole got previewed, because this was a while ago, I was actually excited for his prospects in Modern, but then a Prismatic Ending came in Modern Horizons 2. Well, uh, <laughs> I thought it was in, I thought it was in Modern Horizons 2. Yeah. I actually, like, I think we talked about it on the show, like it was in Modern Horizons 2. Yeah. So. Uh, doesn't surprise me at all. So, uh, at this point, it, I think it's just worse than Prismatic Ending. Um, but, yeah, my my worry in for it in standard is it relative to glass casket. There's a lot of relevant threes to hit the adventure creatures, chief among them, uh, you know, Kazandu mammoths, uh, and I'm sure that there's plenty more skyclave apparitions, um, you know, uh, and that kind of stuff. So I do think portable hole will show up, but I actually think power word kill is the better of the two, yeah. um, though. Power word kill, like I said, is not killing Goldspan Dragon is a really big deal. So is it better than Heartless Act? Unclear. But these are both, you know, I've said this about removal spells before. You know, it's just about getting in the conversation. Is the rate good enough to get in the conversation? And then it's just about a matter of which removal spells, you know, which two mana black instant that you have, you know, usually four or five options for in a given standard environment is the best for that weekend. And power word kill, you know, will be the best on some weekends over the next, you know, year and a half while it's in standard. So it's in the conversation. So is portable hole. Just two more solid removal spells added to the standard arsenal. Uh, speaking of things that added to the standard arsenal, there is an interesting card uh, that's sitting right next to this. It's called this is an equipment called uh, Vorpal Sword. And the, one, the reason this one's interesting is it has a line of text on here. I'm going to get through it that you don't see on cards very much. And when you do, you should always take a little notice. So this one costs one mana for an equipment. Uh, it says equipped creature gets plus two plus O and has death touch. And to equip, it's black, black. And here's the line that really matters. Uh, it has another ability for five black, black, black. So for eight mana, it says until, until, until end of turn, uh, Vorpal Sword gains whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player that player loses the game. So we're seeing a very cost-efficient uh, equipment here. You know, it's one mana to play, two mana to equip. It gives plus two, plus zero, and death touch. So, like, I could already see this, like, 
possibly making, you know, if there's like a, you know, a black aggro deck with a bunch of little creatures and stuff, and you just want to be able to like, you know, get through blockers, get through decks that have bigger creatures is already a card that you could possibly play. But it also adds this thing to where like late in the game, like it doesn't matter what life total your opponent's at. If they finally run out of removal or whatever, or waste a block, you could just kill them with this card. Yeah. For eight mana. Generally, when you, yeah. generally when you pay happen. eight mana for something, you yeah. win the game. Like right now, yeah, the standard exactly. is actually seven because of ultimatum. So, yeah. but I'm saying this is a card that, like, you know, it has some play earlier in the games too. Yeah, you know? no, it's cool with uh, with Yuan T Malison or whatever. I'm not sure. I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, the you know the the rare thing that is unblockable as long as it's attacking alone. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it goes through dungeons or whatever, but not a particularly good card. But um, no, I, I don't expect Vorpal Sword to really show up. Even you know when I when I look at this card, I think that eight mana effect is almost never going to win a game. I wasn't winning, you know, anyway. Uh, anyway. And so I'm evaluating based on everything else. And even that, like you know, equipment is just not a very powerful um, uh, card type. Like, it, it right. takes a, a very high degree of efficiency for equipment to be good. And yeah, think about the ones that have made Constructed. They're all, like, bonkers. Yeah. The most recent is Maul of the Skyclaves, which, you know, is also, you know, very, very efficient, efficient. and gives evasion. And gives yeah. uh, mm-hmm. So th- this one's certainly worse than that. Uh, and, you know, I can't, what was the last equipment before Maul of the Skyclaves that saw a significant standard play? Well, there's also uh, the red one. In standard, oh, Emberclave uh, doesn't Emberclave. fucking count. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't play before anything that, like equipment does. Yeah, true, true. Before that, I'm I'm thinking because like I think they kind of learned their lesson over the really good ones like early when they came out and they stopped making like really good equipment. I'm yeah, sure someone's they, gonna they let us up know with GTA and Skull Clamp. Yeah, exactly. And cranial, I mean, cranial plating was like absurd too. Yeah, that's um, less equipment I mean, being busted and more yeah. affinity being busted. That's what I'm saying. In the in its realm, if that one was like yeah. on power on par, like you died. If that and hit and, you. and then it was the the second generation of swords with feast and famine swords, and war yeah. and peace. Those saw that also play. was you know we had we had Stoneforge Mystic in those days. Yeah. So, but it, but the war and peace was good even after the Stoneforge Mystic mm-hmm. days. With right, the, right. In those like rule Snagroot Geist decks, where you'd go like turn one mana creature, turn two sword, turn three Geist equip attack uh so it sort of fit nicely into the curve and you had these sticky threats and you had these mana creatures mana creatures play really well with equipment because you know they give you extra mana to you know move things around they help you get it down you know underneath your opponent's removal and they're usually dead later in the game but if you suit them up with a powerful enough equipment now you've got a real threat uh so yeah like you just don't see them very often in, in standard the bar is really high and i don't think this one clears that bar no, definitely not. Um, I, I'm still thinking of like what's the last equipment we've seen other than like the busted ones in standard right now, and I can't. I'm, someone's gonna you know tweet at us and they're, they're gonna be like this one, and be like, yeah, obviously it's that. We're just we're just dumb and couldn't think of it at the time. Uh, next card. I wonder if this one got you excited at all. I know a lot of people were like you know kind of wide eyed when this one got previewed. This one's a Circle of Dreams Druid. Uh, it's triple green for a two one elf druid, but it has an ability. It's Sky's Cradle, and. I know creatures are a lot more, you know, fragile than a land. It's not as easy. Uh, this is a 2-1, so it literally dies to everything. But it's still a pretty powerful line of text, as we've seen in the history of Magic. Yeah, definitely a powerful line of text. Um, that said, it's a line of text that generally requires, uh, you know, a critical mass of cheap creatures. Um, you know, you uh, and then usually, like, one big thing to ramp into. That's, like, the, the elves plus Craterhoof behemoth 
you know, thing that, that they did in Legacy. Right. I don't really see that coming together in Standard, and especially right now, the bone it just fits so horribly fails the Bone Crusher Giant test. Um, you know, 3-mana creature that doesn't generate any immediate value that dies to, you know, half a card that costs less than it uh, is, is a tough sell. And then in Modern, where you do have that critical mass of 1-drops, you just match up too poorly against Renin 6 and Lava Dart. But I do think there's some potential for this card in the in-between formats, in Historic and uh, and Pioneer, where Collected Company exists, which is great with this card, and not as much of the cheap removal to answer it is around, at least answer it as efficiently. Um, so that's where I would look for this card, though it certainly is powerful enough to see some play in Standard over its lifetime, uh, but it's another one of those wait-until-thrown-rotates cards for me when it comes to Standard. Yeah. We're going to make that comment a lot. We have a, on, a, on our prior uh, shows, too. Sorry if you're tired of hearing it, but it's just the way it is. Um, the next card on the list is definitely one that is, like, probably my pick right now for underrated and sneaky. I think this card is going to be good and could possibly be very good, depending on how the format shakes out. Or just in other uh, constructed formats, this is the the Blacks. It's Blackstaff, right? The Blackstaff of Waterdeep. It's one blue mana for a legendary artifact. Uh, you can choose not to untap it during your untap step, and it has an ability of one in a blue, tap it. Uh, target non-token artifact you control becomes a 4-4 artifact creature for as long as it's uh, for as long as it's tapped, uh, activated as a sorcery. So, in all the decks in history that have played like, you know, in soul artifact kind of effects or whatever, th this is one that a you can get repeated use out of, and b is an artifact itself as well to help pay for, you know, um, like af affinity effects of any kind, you know, artifact matter cards, like in, in, um, in modern, which we're seeing an actual card with affinity for artifacts getting played in modern, uh, or also, you know, in, in thought monitor, we hadn't seen that in quite a while. And that card's proving to be really busted actually in the decks that it's good in. So, you know, there's a card that like you and I talked about on the preview season. We were like, yeah, this one looks good. It looks powerful, but it's, it's proven to be a little more impactful than I think even you and I saw or whatever. So I think this is another card that quite possibly shows up in some format somewhere and makes an impact. Yeah, this one's an interesting one for me. You know, I'm a big and soul fan, played it in Pioneer quite a bit. Uh, and I imagine this card slots into the uh, the Pioneer deck. Um, I'm not I'm not sure like where it where it would fit in, in standard, like what artifacts are around that you really want to build with. Um, it's cute to target, you know, a Stone Coil Serpent and uh, get, get the benefit of the counters on top of it. I like that it doesn't say non-creature. Uh, I think that's right. an important aspect that, yeah. of this card. There, there's yeah, that absolutely. one, like, animating fairy, the, the adventure side of that card. People I've seen people try to play in, in Insult X, and it's just not nearly as good when you can't target creatures because, you know, this is an aggressive deck, so the deck's going to have a lot of creatures in it uh, naturally. Um so that's an important part of it that gives me hope for it. Um, but it's not powerful enough, I think, to like carry into modern. Like, you know, in Soul Artifact, didn't really see play in Affinity even when Affinity was good. I remember people trying it, especially in the wake of its success in Standard at that Pro Tour over the summer. 
but eventually the, like everybody moved off of it it wasn't powerful enough and and this and solar artifact being more efficient making a bigger body is a bigger deal than this card being able to be reused because for the most part people are going to just try to kill the artifact that's the most efficient way of answering it what this card is good against is people who don't really have the artifact removal and so you're instead able to you know force them to trade in combat with weaker cards and keep you know pumping other weak cards over and over again essentially like an equipment um and right now in modern everybody has artifact removal because of the presence of urza saga so um i don't see it breaking into modern right now i think it could at some point in the future in the right metagame um and standard it's going to be about if there's a density of other good artifacts to build this style of deck um so probably going to be difficult until like next summer when we have a big standard environment and we're post eldrine uh would be the time that i would expect this card to, to show up if it ever does um but this is another card I, I'm, I would look at in the in those in-between formats where there's not as much artifact rule around and there's a higher density of good artifacts yeah exactly that's the thing for me it's like you know for this to be playable, you need the right deck for it. Like, obviously, you need a high number of artifacts and stuff like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if this one made it somewhere. Like I said, the card reads pretty powerfully. Um, speaking of reading pretty powerfully, this is a card. I don't know if it'll make it in constructed in any of the the competitive formats. But this is definitely a... Uh, I'm assuming this is a big flavor win. And then this looks like a pretty cool card for Commander. Um, this is... Uh, is T-I-A-M-A-T? Is it Tiamat? I'm not sure how to pronounce T- this. Tiamat. Tiamat, I think. Tiamat? Okay, sure. Um, it costs two, one of every color. So it's seven. It's two white, blue, black, green, red, uh, flying, uh, legendary dragon, God, seven, seven. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, that's important. You have to cast this card. Uh, you get to search your library for the five dragon cards, not named this, you know, reveal them and put them into your hand. You're going to die this card a lot in commander. Uh, you know, this like Ur dragon, a lot of other stuff. Really cool. I know you don't probably need to say anything on here, Ross, and you're not a big commander guy, but this is a this is definitely gonna be like a, a chase mythic in the set. Uh, really cool. The artworks on it is pretty crazy too. So I'm assuming this has you know some big ties into D and D and stuff like this. Is probably a character from something somewhere. Yeah. Um. Again, not a constructed card. I don't think for like standard and stuff. But we'll see. If, if um, I were I, you know desperate to build my my commander deck with this card, my entire deck would just be about cheating omniscience into play. Yeah, yeah. Just cheat omniscience into play. Cast team at trigger it. Cast all your dragons and probably kill someone. Or everyone. Yeah, they're probably dead when that happens. Like, there's yeah. dragons that do stuff and give everybody haste and stuff. They're, they're probably yeah, dead. Yeah, they're probably dead. Um, so just cheat omniscience into play. Let's go ahead and keep down the uh, the mythic train here. This one you kind of mentioned a little earlier. This one is Eliwick Tumblestrom. These are, okay, some of these cards are a mouthful, and it sounds like something straight out of a book written by Tolkien. So I'm just going to try to get through them. Um, this is a legendary planeswalker for two green green. It has four loyalty. The plus one ability is Venture into the Dungeon. So this is the one you were talking about. It's going to venture into the dungeon every turn. Um, it's minus two is look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. If it's legendary, you gain three life. Put the rest on the bottom in random order. And then it has a minus seven. It says you get an emblem. Creatures you control have trample and haste and get plus two, plus two for each differently named dungeon you've completed. I don't think this one is good enough for Constructed. I actually think the minus two is pretty cool and pretty good. We've seen this kind of ability be good before on, like, you know, Nissas and stuff in the, in the past where you get to, like, dig for more creatures. The problem is, is the plus one here, I think, is way too weak and slow. 
and the and just even actually getting through all this like you're not even like your payoff is pretty decent for the minus seven if you have all these creatures in play but you've been spending all this time going through dungeons and your opponent's probably killing you so like if you're if you're plusing it to go through dungeons then like you're not getting the creatures off the thing i, I just don't see this being a constructed card yeah i, I know i talked about uh the the pay potential payoff for constructed needing to be about things that pay you off for you know completing dungeons and on the surface that's what this card does but what you got to understand is that every single ultimate on a planeswalker is a bonus like that it, it, they almost it almost never happens in a game like how often do you ultimate a planeswalker i mean yeah almost never in the game ends when i do it yeah exactly so that so that that one doesn't really count like it's just a planeswalker ultimate so you got to evaluate the card based on the first two abilities and i completely agree with you it's just not impactful you know the the triggers from venturing and into the dungeon uh, are not very impactful. So I think you're what you're going to need is to attach them to cards that have an immediate impact. You know, a creature with an efficient body, efficient stats, and and or spells that are doing other things. Um, th that's where I'm going to look to try to get my venturing done, and I'm just going to pack my deck with them. Uh, and th this card is just well below rate. Like what? Are the the three dungeons. What are, what is the first ability on on each of them? Uh, Give me a couple seconds. It's, one of them uh, is gain one life. Each player loses one life. Or scry, scry one. one. So that's like imagine you know Elibic Tumblestrom said plus one. Choose one of those things. Either scry one. Each player loses a life, or you gain a life, and then have that same minus two. And you could give it any ultimate you wanted at minus seven. It could literally say minus seven win the game, like. Is that card playable? Because that's no. the way I'm evaluating that card, and it's a, the answers are resounding now. Yeah. So uh, I do, I do admit, I, I think the name is really fun to say, Eliwick Tumblestrom. It's just a cool, yeah. cool name. Also, new, the new Planeswalker character. So we'll probably see Eliwick, you know, in the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like maybe, like if we come back to this kind of realm or something. Yeah, oh, they're sure. definitely going to give us another fucking D and D um, set in three years. Come they're, on. They're, that or there'll be like a commander set where it gets used again or a secret layer where it gets used again. Yeah. It's kind of, um, the next one is another planeswalker. It's off a character from the D and D realm. It's one that I'm actually familiar with because it's from, uh, it's mentioned in the books that involve Dritz from R. Salvador and it's Loth, the spider queen. And, um, this one is three black, black and has, uh, four loyalty. So, um, black planeswalker, it does have a static ability where it says whenever a creature you control dies, put a loyalty count put a loyalty counter on Loth Spider Queen. Its first ability is zero. You draw a card and lose one life. Uh, minus three. Create two two one black spider creature tokens with menace and reach. And then minus eight. So no pluses on here. The only the only way to get pluses on this is you have to have creatures uh, die. Uh, it's kind of like the Garrick back in the day with the wolves and stuff. So minus eight. You get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more creatures you control. If that player lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference. So you you, you have to they have to lose eight if they lose life. So um, this card, I actually think this one this one has a chance at being five mana. If this was six, I don't think it it, it can make it. If it was four, I'd be like this might be like really good or very playable. At five, I'm not sure, but you can play this. It's in the right color, right? Being black, you know, because you have like sacrifice mechanics and stuff like that to make this card good. It creates creatures for you to sacrifice. Which let's let's be real. Two two one spiders with menace and reach 
So like they're good at attacking and good at blocking. Like that that's pretty good. It's also two bodies. And then the just the zero is draw a card and lose a life. So like you're keeping the the card advantage going. Like who gives a shit about this uh, uh, this ultimate, right? Like I'm I'm sure there's games where you're gonna want to do it, but I'm way more interested in the other two abilities. And I can see this card being the top end in like a deck that has some sacrifice effects if it's good enough. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Uh, this is actually one of the few cards I, I've had an opportunity to play with. It was early on that it was previewed, and uh, you know we're recording this midweek, so I've had one episode of Versus with new cards uh, already, and I played this in a Rakdos Sacrifice deck. I drew it twice in the match I played. In one of the ma- games, I never had an opportunity to play it where it would have done anything relevant or lived through, uh, through the turn. And in the other game, it dominated the game. <laughs> so I, I sort of saw both ends of it, and I I do think this card has you know potential to, to win a game uh, when you when you play it and protect it. Um, but it, you know, starting at four loyalty uh, for five mana planeswalker, never really getting to to, to pump up is an issue. Um, so I'm 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 skeptical of this card, but I do think it has it has some potential. But I wouldn't be that surprised if it kind of flopped. Um, or, or, you know, only saw very, very, uh, uh, sparing play over the course of its standard lifetime. I, w- I also will say that this is a time where I'm actually very disappointed and, uh, with the ultimate and a planeswalker where I actually think it's relevant. I know I just got done saying the opposite, but this is sort of the exception and it's because of that static. You know, when I read that static, I imagined, okay, like build up a battlefield of creatures with a woe strider cast this planeswalker, sack your creatures, and get an immediate ultimate that should be game-winning. And in this case, the ultimate is not very good, and you probably have a hard time leveraging it because you've just sacrificed four creatures in order to get there. Um, so, uh, I obviously, I think that's by design. I, th- I think if the card had a really game-winning ultimate, then, you know, doing the the setting up the play that I described would be too powerful. Um, but... It, it is an awkward uh, planeswalker to try to try to kill, uh, especially once you start making the spiders and and you you can go wide it and and block. So it, it's a I think it's a fine grindy card. Um, another issue with it for this specific format is the presence of, of ultimatums that just go way over the top. Like you you really haven't seen decks that are just grinding uh in that classic mid-range attrition style in standard recently the card advantage is all in forms that can end the game you know uh edgewall innkeeper being paired with efficient creatures that beat down or showdown of the scalds in decks with a lot of cheap creatures which obviously is good with showdown anyway but also like generates a battle a battlefield position that can really start pressuring your opponent's life total Lolf doesn't really do that um so it's going to be a card that is really bad in those ultimatum matchups uh, that might relegate it to to being a sideboard card, uh, but it'll be a pretty good sideboard card, I think. You know, the same way like you see yeah. Vivian in the sideboard of all these green decks, Loth yeah. could do the same. Uh, one of the cards that you know I've mentioned a few times here. I'm going to go ahead and read this one off. It's too hard in itself. It's a card. I'm going to go out of my way to make sure it's in my collection, just because I'm a, I was a huge fan of this character growing up. Uh, it's three green white for a three three uh, elf ranger. It's a legendary creature. It also has double strike kind of a, a flavor win there because he's known for fighting with both of his hands like that's that's what he was like known for in the stories he's a really good swordsman but he fights with two swords and he's just as good with both hands uh as you know his, his off hands is with his normal hand anyway uh it says when it enters the battlefield uh create i'm not even gonna try to pronounce this word uh, i uh 
Guinevar, I think, or something something along those lines. I, I probably knew it as a kid. I don't remember it anymore. But it's a legendary 4-1 green, cra- uh, green cat creature token with trample. So it makes a 4-1 green uh, trampling token. And then it says, whenever a creature dies, if it had power greater than Dritz's power, put a plus one plus one counter on Dritz equal to the difference, which is, uh you know, pretty big. You know, if you have a 5-5 five, five die, then you get two plus plus one counter. So Dritz can get bigger and stuff here. So... Uh, the, the, we've seen a long line of these kind of like rare mythic green white creatures in the last few years that like the creature comes in, it's a decent creature, but it also brings another sizable body along with it. You know, in the past they've like gained life or fought something when they came into play. Yeah, this one, not as immediate as an impact. Yeah. This one, not as immediate of an impact. But it is five mana for 10 power. You know, if you're yeah. counting double strike twice, you got six on the main and then four on the cat. Um, you know, some of it coming with trample. So both sides, you know, working well with pump spells, which is nice. So if you play this and they kill one half of it, the other half will still let you, you know, pay you off for putting pump spells in your deck if that's the route you want to go. Uh, you know, you could definitely play, um, what's the, Primal Might would go very well here. Um, I, I think this is a solid card. I'm not sure if it really has a home right now. I'm, and in that case, then you have to examine, is this powerful enough to, you know, force it its way into the metagame? Will it, will it create a home for itself? Um, I don't think it's at that level because it's just mana for power and toughness. Uh, there is some inherent card advantage with the two bodies. So I'll give you that. Um, but if, if it finds a good home, it'll be good. And if it doesn't find a good home, it'll kind of fall flat and end up being underrated. But this is definitely a solid card and, and one to keep your eye on. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one we can go through this one pretty quick because I, I don't think it's particularly good, but this is like one of the dungeon payoff cards. It's an Adar Selfless Paladins, two and a white for a 3 3 legendary dragon knight. It has vigilance. Um, whenever it uh, attacks or enters the battlefield, you get to venture into the dungeon, so you get to do it immediately. Um, and then it's other creatures you control get plus one plus one as long as you completed a dungeon. While that line of text is powerful, right? Like giving all of your other creatures plus one plus one. You're looking at, you know, this happening four turns later, you know, that this has been in, in play, or five turns, however many times it has happened. Or you have to have other cards that venture into the dungeon along with this, plus you have to have other creatures in play to really kind of make this payoff be worth it. I can't see all of it working together and you still surviving a game of Magic and Standard. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not optimistic about it working, but when I act under the assumption of, like, what are the... If this is going to work in, in a cons- competitive, constructed environment... Like, what is the card that is going to have to be good enough that will make it work? And I think this card is the answer, because it's both the enabler and the payoff. It pays you off for completing the dungeon with something pretty powerful. Um, it can get you there reasonably quickly. The body is, is pretty good, 3 mana, 3-3, three, three, with, with Vigilance. Um, you know, obviously Lovestruck Beast is, is an issue there, but it doesn't die to, to, to Stomp. Um, and so we're good there. It does die to Frostbite. That could be an issue. Um, but this to me is the card that is one of the cards that's going to have to be in a successful constructed, uh, venture deck. And I'm with you that like, that does not make me optimistic, but I do think that this is, this is the kind of card that is going to need to need to, that you're going to need to make work. And, you know, I, I would try to pair it with, uh, let me see if I can find it. Intrepid Outlander. This is the colorless in a green 2-3 Orc Ranger, and as pack tactics, one of the new mechanics, whenever Intrepid Outlander attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power 6 or greater, which is the mechanic, this combat venture into the dungeon. So I can imagine having, you know, the, the dream draw of one drop, turn 2 Outlander, turn 3 
uh, you know, play whatever this legend is, Nadar, and now on your turn four, you're triggering the Outlander and triggering Nadar. So on turn four, you've you know, um, you ventured three times, and then maybe you cast a spell. Uh, you know, maybe even it's if, if it has to be Eliwick, I hope not, but some other thing that, that triggers a fourth time, and now you can get through a dungeon that way, and you've curved out with creatures, which is what you want to do anyway in your aggressive deck, and you're taking advantage of, of Nadar now, and pumping your team is going to make pack tactics, you know, easier to trigger. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, that I'd be looking to do, but you're going to really need a high density of venture creatures to do it. And those are the like only two that I really see right now. I guess Ferris, the other the other legendary green one, we can uh, run through that one real quick. It's one green green, uh, Ferris Silvery Moon Ranger. It's a human elf ranger, a legendary creature has reach and ward one as a three three. And whenever you cast a creature or planeswalker spell, venture into the dungeon. This ability triggers only once per turn. And whenever you complete a dungeon, you create a two two. So, um, you know, that would be a, a cool one to finish on. Or you know, ca- uh, you know, cast on turn four. Maybe you have it with another one drop. Now you're in, you know, complete uh, uh, magical Christmas land, like perfectly curving. And then you create an extra two two, and you've got like six creatures in play, and they're all getting pumped. Uh, so like that, that trio of cards is where I'm looking at for like a venture aggro deck right now. But it certainly needs more help. Um, I really hope that you wouldn't have to play Ellie Wick, but I would try to play it if I needed to to get that density of venture effects into the deck um but the you know i'm always a, i'm always a fan when i'm when i see a very parasitic you know mechanic a mechanic where you need a high density of it to make work to see a card that is both an enabler and a payoff wrapped into one and that's what nadar is so that to me reads reads well uh and the, and the stats are, are good enough you know they're, they're not the best stats around but they're certainly ab- above par so uh, I'm pretty opt- I'm optimistic about Nadar, um, but for the reason that I think it's one of the better venture cards. But I do agree with you that I'm not optimistic about the venture mechanic. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to read off four cards here, and then we're going to kind of talk about them because uh, this is one of the more exciting things going on in this set. And uh, we're going to read the four that we have, and then we'll talk, uh, and then you know we'll read off the other one if we ever get it here. Uh, these are the new lands that are uh, relevant in this set. They're the new creature lands. So the black one is Hive of the Eye Tyrant, I think is the name of it. Yeah, all right. So if you control two, they all say this. If you control two or more other lands, this enters the battlefield tapped. Um, it only taps for black, so it's not like the dual lands that we had in the past, but they all have the extra ability on them. And the black one reads three to black until end of turn. This becomes a 3-3 black beholder creature with menace. And whenever this creature attacks, exile target card from defending player's graveyard. Uh, The white one is four and a white. And it becomes a three, four white dragon creature with flying until end of turn. These all still stay lands, by the way. Um, The red one is three and a red. Sorry, the white one is cave of the frost dragon. The the red one is den of the bugbear. It's a three and a red. Until in turn, uh, it becomes a 3-2 red goblin creature with, whenever this attacks, create a 1-1 red goblin t- uh, creature token that's tapped and attacking. And the blue one, hold on, i got to click on it because it's in another language. This one is 4, uh, sorry, 5 and a blue. Um, it becomes a 7-7 seven, seven giant creature with ward 3. It's still a land. The one that stands out to me the most, I've got to I've got to say, is probably the red one because it's like the, the most aggressive and it's usually in the most aggressive decks, plus it leaves behind a body, which is 
pretty good, but I can see all of these seeing play. The black one has some relevant abilities, you know, you know, exiling a card from a graveyard. The white one has uh, evasion and being a flyer, and the blue one is just a big dumb idiot that's hard to target. Yeah, you know, I, so it's like a. I expect all of these to see play over the course yep. of their lifetime. Uh, you know, creature lands are just generally a pretty powerful, um, mm-hmm. especially if they tap for you know colored mana. Um. I agree with you. I think the red one is the best one. The awkward part of uh, of these cards is that I think they're often going to uh, butt heads with the common creature land in the format right now, um, the Snowland, whose name is escaping me. Um, faceless Haven. Or face, yeah, Faceless Haven. Um, and, and so initially, I you know you would think that now you just have to compare straight up. Like, is Faceless Haven going to be a better card than these are in your deck? But you do get a little bit more flexibility by putting these in your deck. They add colored mana, so you never get those hands where you have, like, two or three Faceless Havens, and they muck up your ability to curve out. Um, though sometimes these enter tapped, so that they're, in terms of helping you curve out, uh, there's a, a plus and minus. But I think you, you, you come out positively going for these uh, creature lands as opposed to Faceless Haven. Uh, but the other thing they do is that they allow you more flexibility in the rest of your mana base. With Faceless Haven, it's hard to play other utility lands because you just have to play so many Snow Basics to make sure you can consistently activate Haven. And, you know, when I think about Mono Red, I think about being able to play Shatter Skull Smashing again if you have Den of the Bugbear in your deck instead of playing as many Basics. You still get to play some Castle Embereths, uh, and you've got a, a pretty powerful, you know, uh, creature land here that I think is, you know, straight up on par with Haven. And I like the ability to get some of those other, you know, get some of that added flexibility in my mana base back again. Um, so, you know, to me, a lot of these compare pretty favorably. Like if there was a black aggro deck, you know, 3-3 that exiles some cards from their graveyard is pretty good. It's nice to have that incidental graveyard hate against escape cards and, uh, you know, other recursive threats, Skyclave Shades uh, and, and things like that. And then... You know, for control, I think the blue one slots pretty well into control decks, just being a giant idiot, you know, and, you know, mopping up the game in the the end. Uh, The white one, I think, reads as the worst one to me so far, but it's also the one with flying, and so it's probably going to play better than it reads. Um, You know, flying is just the the best. uh, Yeah, haste is probably the best keyword mechanic, but those are definitely the the two best ones. Um, So that one will probably play. I'm sort of expecting it to play better. But also, you know, costing five mana activate is kind of tough in an aggro deck, so maybe, like, Mono White will still want to be Snow. Um, th- th- for the red deck, there's also the question of, like, losing the effectiveness of Frostbite do you, being a one-mana three-damage spell. Is that worth getting Shatter Skull Smashing back again? I'm not sure if the other colors really play a lot of, uh, you know, Snow cards. Like, uh, sometimes the, the Mono Green decks play um, the Brawl card, Blizzard Brawl. Uh, but Blizzard Brawl, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but it's far from a necessity in the deck, so... Uh, it'll be an interesting question, I think, for a lot of the monocolor dragger decks. Do I want to go for my fast land, or do I want to go snow with with faceless haven? But I certainly expect all of these cards to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to talk about these next two cards together. Um, cool flavor win for D and D players here. Big loss for me personally if I'm ever playing with these cards, especially in limited, because I'm really bad about bringing dice with me to Magic. Um, the first one is Spiked Pit Trap. It's a one-mana artifact with Flash, and it has five mana, tap it, sacrifice this, choose target creature, and then roll a d20. So I'm pretty positive this is the first time Magic cards have ever referenced a d20. 
right? Like, I don't know if it's maybe like an unset or something, but definitely not in like a standard legal set, I don't think. But if you get a 1 through 9, uh, Spike Trap deals 5 damage to that creature. If you get a 10 through 20, Spike Trap deals 5 damage to the creature and you create a, you create a treasure token. Uh, treasure Chest is a 3-mana artifact. This is 4-mana sacrifice this, roll a d20. If you roll a 1, you lose 3 life. So, you know, you roll... Uh, what's the word? Is there a word for that in D&D where you roll, like, the worst possible? There probably is, I know, but the, I have no fucking clue what it is. I know the good one is a crit or whatever, uh, or a natural 20. So, 2 through 9, you create 5 treasure tokens. 10 through 19, you gain 3 life and draw 3 cards. And if you get that natural crit, if you get that 20, you get to search your library for a card. If it's an artifact card, you can put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, you put the card in your hand. Um... That's pretty powerful. Like, I don't know if this is something that's going to happen in standard, but like, these are definitely some, like, this is definitely a really cool commander card. And it's just a very powerful, like, it's a whole bunch of very powerful effects written onto one card. And uh, I'll tell you this for fun, it's it's some really cool stuff. Um, seven mana, turn three. We could, we could Tron this treasure chest thing and just start going nuts on people. Um, you could, yes. I would not. Yeah, advise I mean, this is a thing that we. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't advise it, but I, I'm I'm gonna do this for fun. You know, like I'm gonna make the. We should just make a deck that it's just treasure chests like play against each other, just treasure chests, uh, Tron lands, and like other a few other things, and like play some games out. That'd be fun. You know, but. this this to me, I, you know, I think it's a fun mechanic where obviously works really perfectly with the set, very flavorful. Um, when it comes to competitive constructed magic. It's about devising a game plan and executing a game plan, and it's really difficult to do that when you're not confident of what your cards are going to do. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, 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 so like you can't depend on getting that that boost of mana from getting the treasures, or you can't depend on getting that extra life and cards or the demonic tutor. And sometimes you, you it's just a literally game losing card. Like if you sp- spend seven mana and a card to lose three life, I can't imagine winning the game. Yeah, uh, no, so absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so that's just not how you know constructed magic works. Um, but you know, I'm not the kind of person that's going to say like every single card in every set should be designed you know to the whims of constructed magic. I think we that we've tilted that axis too far towards the casual side of things in recent years. Um, mm-hmm. But these kinds of cards, with how evocative they are for the flavor of the set, I think are a, a you know. A worthy addition, despite the fact that they don't yeah. really have constructed applications. It just—it looks like something out of an unset, and I love it. I think it's pretty cool. Another big flavor win here. Uh, let's go over a few more of the mythics in the set. This is Icing Death Frost Tyrant. It's a uh, two white white for a flying vigilance four three dragon creature. It's a legendary creature as well. Um, when it dies, you create Icing Death Frost Tongue, a legendary white equipment artifact token with equipped creature gets plus two plus zero. And whenever equipped creature attacks, tap target creature defending player uh, controls, equip two. So, um, this is one of those cards. So, like, getting a 4-3 Flying Vigilance for four mana is passable. The fact that it leaves something behind when it dies, again, is pretty cool. Like, you know, it turns into an equipment for, like, your white deck that generally has a bunch of creatures and stuff. I'm not sure about this one, but... Definitely a card that could be considered for some of these decks if, like, you know, the format gets a little more mid-rangey and grindy. Yeah, I mean, we've seen mono-white aggro decks play things like Legion Angel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I think this card compares reasonably with those. Um, you know, you get a little Vigilance. You still get some card advantage, not as much with Legion Angel, but sometimes, you know, casting a bunch of four drops can be clunky. So, you know, this card reads as solid to me, but not anything I'm, like, going to go out of my way to play. Right. 
That said, they've been trying to work in a lot of equipment synergies into a ton of different sets recently. I think it's something that like that whoever the design the R and D team like I think they want to see equipment in standard, um, and that you know they've pushed some as a result. I think Embercleave ended up being a mistake, but all the Skyclaves right. is great. Um, you know, I think that one's definitely a hit, and that there's a lot of cards that that prey on or not prey on, but uh, uh you know pay off uh, equipment decks. I've tried to build some on versus live. It's a really tricky thing to do because finding the balance of uh, interaction threats and equipment is really difficult because, you know, equipment are, are as a mechanic or as a card type, they have very high diminishing returns because you only have so much mana to spend equipping them, which is why some of the most powerful, you know, equipment uh, synergistic uh, decks have involved pure steel paladin, uh, because that's really the major problem equipment have is, is how much mana it, it takes to equip them. Um, and so you don't really don't want to draw too many of them, but some, like if you don't have enough of them, then you're not going to you know, consistently develop your synergies. And this is a nice card in that it ends up being a, you know, a creature early and then an equipment late. And that's kind of what you want. You want more threats early. You probably have drawn an equipment or two naturally because you've put s- several in your deck. Uh, and it can play both sides. So I think that helps, you know, it's another card that kind of helps those kinds of decks. They haven't been anywhere close to constructed playable. Um, I'm not super optimistic that that will change, but I'm, I kind of hope it will at some point. I would like to see, you know, equipment around in standard. I think they're a fun mechan- a fun card type to play with. Um, and, and this is pushing, this isn't pushing in the right direction. This is the kind of card that those decks need. So do you want to know my favorite part about this card, though? And like, I think it's like a cool flavor win. It's that when the dragon dies, it drops loot. I think that's like the coolest thing and like the most the most like. Oh sure, that makes thing. sense. That com- that went yeah. completely over my head. Yeah. So um, next card we want to talk about. This one's a really cool looking one, and it has some interesting interesting text on here. This is Xanathar Guild Kingpin. So it's four blue black for a legendary creature. It's a beholder. Um, it's a five six. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose target opponent. Until end of turn, that player can't cast spells. You may look at the top card of their library at any time. You may play the top card of their library, and you may spin mana as it were mana of any color to cast the spells played this way. That reads pretty powerful, Ross. Yeah, um, but it's a six mana creature that doesn't right. generate any immediate value, and that's mm-hmm. a problem. That, like, you, when you spend six mana and constructed, you need to get something out of it. And with this card, you, you can't really guarantee that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm a, it's a thumbs down on, on competitive constructed for me. But I literally was told the other day uh, by someone here in Roanoke that they are going to build a commander deck with this as their commander. And yeah, this is a cool sweet shit. commander. I'm not a yeah, commander person, really cool but th- this is the kind of commander that I would want to play with. Oh, yeah, I would. I'd be down for this. All right, moving along on the on the mythics. This one's one of the another new planeswalker. I, I'm hoping I'm getting this right. This is Zariel, the Archduke of Avern. The part of the art is yeah. over the name of it's, the card. It's A V R A V E R N U S. Either Avernus or Avernus. Maybe yeah, Avernus. Like Avernus sounds right to me. Yeah. So two two red red for four uh four loyalty, plus one creatures you control get plus one plus zero and gain haste until end of turn. Zero, create a 1-1 one, one red devil creature token with, when this creature dies, it does one damage to any target. We, we've seen this before. And it does have a minus six. And it says, you get an emblem at the end of your first combat phase on your turn. Untap target creature you control. 
After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. So some pretty powerful stuff, though. This is a four mana red planeswalker, so it needs to do a lot generally to make it into these decks. Yeah, I, th I think this is a solid card. I think it reads pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, don't overlook the value of just giving haste to a lot of your creatures. Uh, Absolutely. Very valuable thing to do. Um, so I I'm, I'm excited for this one. I'm optimistic about it. Uh, the one thing that is really awkward about it is when you think about what creatures you want to give haste, the one that all immediately comes to my head is Lovestruck Beast. But when you plus Zariel, Lovestruck Beast probably can't attack. It can't attack, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so it plays very poorly with Lovestruck Beast, which is a problem. Um, but uh, And it obviously competing with Torbrin in just Mono Red. But, uh, you know, this is a, I'm going to be trying out a Mono Red deck with Zariel instead of Torbrin uh, tomorrow on Versus. Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday night, so... Sure. Um, yeah, late Wednesday night. I probably should have said that earlier, so if I sound tired or anything during the show, uh, yeah. it's like almost past my bedtime. So so if it's a card that I'm willing to try in versus, I at least have, you know, yeah. so, some faith Some in hope. It. Yeah. Uh, speaking of stuff with a little bit of faith in it, the next one is this, this green mythic. It's like it's Terrascu or something like that. I can't. The the, the name's weird. It's a six uh, green, green, green. So it looks like a nine drop. It's a legendary creature. It's a dinosaur. I, I would think it's Terrasque. Like like the last syllable is like that. No, I, I would just I would just pronounce it like a K, like Basque, you know, Basque country in the oh, north I, of Spain. Yeah, I, say, I have it. It's really small on my screen. It's in a different language. I'm trying to yeah, read the translation. Yeah, it's T A R R A S Q U E. I I would okay. pronounce the that last part as just ask. So Terrasque. Terrasque, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So uh, as I said, six green, green, green for a ten, ten. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, if it was cast, it gains haste and ward ten. So so no one's no one's pointing a spell at this thing. Um, and it, when it attacks, it fights target creature defending player controls. This is a lot of mana, um, like a lot, a lot of mana to cast. I don't see it happening too much, but maybe this is some kind of finisher in the deck that can make a lot of mana. Well, I mean, I you, you mentioned Circle of Dreams Druid, and I mentioned wanting sure. to have a lot of small creatures and then a big payoff at the end with it. This yeah, could be that payoff. This might be it. That's definitely so, like this is your fireball. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, you just play a, a, a very difficult to answer 10, 10 that kills something and attacks immediately. Sure. Like that's, that's pretty good. Sure. I'm, I'm into, yeah. I'm in, I'm into that. <laughs> sure. Uh, so, uh, next myth I want to move on to the book of vile darkness. Uh, it's black, black, black legendary artifact at the beginning of your end step. If you lost two or more life this turn, create a two, two black zombie creature token. Love this card already so far. That's pretty decent. Uh, it has a tap ability. Exile the Book of Vile Darkness and artifacts you control named Eye of uh, Venka? Vecna? Vecna? I can't. Yeah, it's, it's really it's really small. And Hand of Vecna. And you create Vecna, a legendary 8-8 black zombie guy creature token with indestructible. It gains all triggered abilities of the exiled cards. I, I'd have to go look through all the other cards, but I'm sure there's some triggered abilities. Um, we haven't seen the, the, the two enablers yet. We, have, we haven't seen the two enablers? No. Maybe they're not in this set. I would assume they're in this set. But maybe. I, I would assume too. I, th I think they're just okay. coming later in previous season, yeah. which I find kind um, of annoying because I just have this agreed. card, like, and I want to be able to evaluate it with agreed with all the information. Because this card looks pretty cool. Yeah, um, this is a card that that I wanted to play on versus this week. I ended up deciding that like I'm probably not going to play it twice, so I should just wait until the eye and the hand are, are here and we can play both or play all three. Um. But I did a scryfall search for you know cards that could make me lose life in my black deck uh, to see how I could enable this. The the obvious one is Agadim's Awakening, which is great. So you just play it as your your third land, cast at the book, 
and then immediately get a trigger on your end step, which is really cool. And then the other really good one is is Murderous Rider, where where uh, Ooh, Swift yeah, End. Yeah, that's a sweet. Yeah, one, so Swift End gets you. I'm not sure if that's enough because it, it only triggers at your end step, not your opponent's. So it's not like you're getting zombies when they're attacking you. Uh, that would be too good. Uh, I was thinking about like crazy roundabout ways. If your opponent has, um, God, is blanked on the card, but the the black token maker from the last set it has Ward three life. Sedge more like. Sedgemore Witch, you could, like, kill their Sedgemore Witch, pay the three life, like, yeah. make a 2-2. Two, two. Uh, there's, there's some roundabout ways. Yeah, yeah. You, you should expect at some point for me to try for, like, the fourth time to play Grey Merchant of Asphodel and Standard again, even though it's mm-hmm. wildly unplayable. Uh, but yeah. with, with with the book in there somewhere uh, and trying mm-hmm. to make some zombies. So uh, I think, that, yeah, it's a cool card. I'm not sure if there's an, there are enough enablers right now in, uh, in Standard to make it work. Because those are really the, those are the only two that I like looked at and was like okay those are obvious additions just good magic cards, um, and I don't want to put too many you know bad cards in my deck to enable this you know engine. Of yeah, just there's some bad getting cards. Two there's like a there's like a two one for for two mana that you could pay to your life to give it flying at the beginning of combat. Yeah. And I'm like that that card's just not good uh, enough. Annoyingly, there's a lot of cards that let you like lose one life, like Lalt's zero mm-hmm. ability, uh, the Professor Onyx's first ability. Um, yeah, the the three mana vampire reader yeah, that callous, does callous blood like, mage. So like, yeah. I wonder if like if you just put a bunch of those in your deck too, and you could consistently get works. two of them, especially with the planeswalker yeah. loyalties. Like, but then you're talking about situations where you've untapped with a planeswalker in play, and you have the book, and you're worried about like getting an extra two two. So yeah. it, it's very win mori at that point. But maybe in combination with the murderous riders and and the Agadim's awakenings, it's enough. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely something I, I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one I want to talk about is a Red Mythic that m- might have my early vote for, like, coolest and maybe the best card so far that we have previewed or whatever, or, like, just one of the cards that I'm super interested in, and I'm like, this one's probably going to make Constructed. This is Flame Skull. It's one red red for a 3-1. It's got flying, and it can't block. But it has this ability called Rejuvenation. I don't know if this is going to be an actual ability or not, but that's what it's called in the card. It says, when Flame Skull dies, exile it. If you do... Exile the top card of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play one of those cards. So, so you, this you is pretty to cool. Recast the flame skull if you want to, or you know, play the other card if you really did. You know, need a land yeah. drop, you can play a land off of it. Or mm-hmm. if you'd rather have whatever spell play. you play, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is which is relevant. I I agree with you. I think this card is quite good. Um, just a good, it, obviously, just a good aggressive card. Um, but um. I could even see this as like a sideboard threat out of mid-range decks uh, or like control decks for like the control mirrors. It's like cheap source of card advantage or whatever. Um, I, I could see it in that role the way they used to play like Legion War Boss. Um, it's a cool creature for sacrifice decks too. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm playing it tomorrow in, in my mono red list alongside the the Planeswalker, uh, and I agree with you. Like it, it's it, it was the card. It's the card so far that has jumped out at me the most. Uh, just mm-hmm. just from reading it, um, so I'm not sure if it's going to be you know the best card in the set, but it is the card I am most confident will see significant constructed play. That makes yeah yeah like that's that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I see this card and it just like screams at me, you know, to play it or whatever. So uh, speaking of more mythics, there's another black one. It's uh, Ebon Death Draco Lich. So like a really uh, there's a lot of mouthfuls in a lot of these cards. So it's. <laughs> Two and two. Are you happy that I'm the one reading the cards this week? Yeah. Right, so it's yeah. Two and two and two black for a five-two legendary creature, zombie dragon. Uh, it's got flash. It's got flying. Uh, it enters the battlefield tapped. 
and you may cast this from your graveyard if a creature not named, you know, uh, Ebon Death Dragon Lich died this turn. Uh, this one's pretty cool. Um, very, it hits hard, right? It's a four mana five two flyer, right? It's got flash, so you can kind of play it end of turn, and then you can cast it from your graveyard if something else has died this turn. So, pretty cool creature to have in a, like another you know sacrifice type deck type thing, or just being in your deck to kind of like. You know, you may get some value on it later in the game where, like, it's in your graveyard. You, like, have some other creature in play. Your opponent kills it. And you're like, okay, well, like, I'll, I'll cast my dragon for my graveyard or whatever now. You know, kind of thing. So, like, they have to, you know, kill stuff on their own turns. Like, you know, they can't do it defensively during your combat step and stuff like that anymore at the end of your... I guess they do at the end of your turn and stuff, too. But, uh, you know, especially if there's any way to get any value from just, you know, milling this into your graveyard, discarding it, or something like that, too. Yeah, this is the card that is at the top of my wait until Bonecrusher Giant rotates list. Right, okay. <laughs> because paying four mana for a card that's dying to stomp is, is not my idea of fun. Um, mm-hmm. But this is one, you know, even in the face of that, because you can recast it, like you can recoup the, the card advantage. The, the issue is tempo. But, you know, four mana, five power with evasion is really cool. Uh, and yep. that's that's definitely no joke. Uh, and being able to cast it from your graveyard, I think, is really cool. Being able to cast it on your end step, uh, like with Flash, makes it a, a cool card against sweepers to me. You know, just have it, just being able to pass, and even if it's out of your hand, you know, casting it after they cast their sweeper and having a ton of pressure is great. But it's also a really great card to just you know have uh, you know on the battlefield. And once you want to tap with it, you can just pass with mana up. And if your opponent plays their sweeper, you just recast this. Um, so. A good card against sweepers, if that's your problem, uh, provided the sweepers are putting the creatures in the graveyard. I know a lot of the ones around now exile. So um, I, I expect this card to see... I wouldn't say expect, but um, I wouldn't at all be... try this card yeah, for sure. I wouldn't at all be surprised for this card to see constructed play. Just that, that amount of evasive power at four mana. That's a, that's a fast clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did want to talk about this one a little bit for like a second because it's one of the ones that when you read this, it always catches my eye. We see stuff like this in sets all the time, but it harkens back to Birthing Pod. It's uh, Oswald Fiddlebender. It's one and a white for a legendary creature, Gnome Artificer uh, 2-2. It has an ability of white and tap it. You sacrifice an artifact and you search your library for an artifact card whose mana value is equal to the mana value of the sacrificed artifact plus one. And then you put it onto the battlefield. You can only do this as a sorcery though. But... Um, maybe not like, you know, if we don't have enough stuff in standard, again, it's a 2-2, dies to stomp, you know, a lot of stuff like that, you know, it matters what's going on. Cool commander card, just one of those text boxes that like, every time I see it, I get a little worried for half a second, because, you know, I have those PTSD moments with birthing pod and stuff, so. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, this just isn't birthing pod, like a birthing pod that is that fragile. I actually, I actually think birthing pod is a very safe, unbanned and modern, um, Right, right now, I I just don't think the card would be nearly as powerful, you know, five years later or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we have, you know, just things like a braid that people are playing that that answer it so easily. Um, like I remember back in the day, people bringing in ancient grudge against me because it was their only way to destroy artifacts in their entire deck, and the you know, it's just not a. a that's just not the case anymore. This is incredibly fragile and uses a. A, hard, a you know a harder subset of cards trying to chain artifacts together and restricting yourself to just playing artifacts. So, you know, 
I'm sure there's like this is a character from D and D. Like, so it makes sense. I, I don't know exactly what the flavor is, but as as far as competitive play, this one's a, a non-starter for me. Uh, speaking of artifacts, though, in the set, this, this is one that kind of caught my attention. I kind of like this one. This is the Instrument of the Bards. It's one green mana for a legendary artifact. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a harmony counter on Instrument of the Bards. Then you pay three and a green and tap it. Search your library for a creature card of mana value equal to the number of harmony counters on it. Um, reveal it and put it into your hand. If the card is legendary, create a treasure token. Then shuffle. Now, it goes to your hands. That's like the big thing for me. If this put it into play, I think this card would be like very good. You know, or the chance of being obscenely good, but I don't know. This this is a card. It's it's interesting to me. I, I think it's going to be a little too slow, and the activation cost is probably a little too high. But it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. It's just it's just too slow. Like, uh, and again, against things like ultimatums, like there's just really powerful and immediately impactful effects that exist in standard that are going to see constructed play, and you've got to contend with. Like maybe this can be a sideboard card when you you don't have to contend with that, depending on the matchup and the games are still going along. Maybe, but the other issue with this card is it's a bad top deck. Like you can't just top deck it late and tap, you know, pay one, then pay four, tap it, and find something good because you got to wait and, and build up those counters on it. So that combination is bad to me because if I'm bringing in this card to be a game breaker in long attrition matchups, then I can expect to see it pretty often off the top of my deck in the mid to late game. And so it needs to be good in that scenario, and this card isn't. So even in that you know small role that I might have carved out for it in my head, it still does not seem particularly effective. Uh, a couple other cards I wanted to go over here before we uh, we can we can save some for 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 next week, or whatever. I love the name of this card. It's Dragon Turtle. And when's the last time we saw a card that the name of it is just Dragon Turtle? It's also just a creature, Dragon Turtle. When's the last time that happened? Uh, never. I besides like, besides like the original. No, no, I think like early Magic. You know, Grizzly Bears is like summon Grizzly Bears or something. You know, you may oh, remember, the, you okay. Yeah, now I understand saying. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, but this, this doesn't happen for at all. But this card's pretty cool. So it's one blue, blue for a three-five of flash, and when it enters the battlefield, you tap it, and up to one target creature and opponent controls. They don't untap until their next untap step. Like, am I crazy for thinking this might be playable? Like, you know, it is a it is a trick to kind of like slow your opponent down or whatever. But like, it's a three-five for three mana in the blue decks. Like, maybe this isn't enough, you know, whatever. But this is a flash three-five that you can like playing a deck, it taps down their stuff, and you're just getting a huge body for not a lot of mana. Maybe uh, it's like, I think maybe if it was like 4 or 5, maybe it'd be really good, because no, there's so many things that are like... I don't think that's the issue with it. I think the issue is the Dragon Turtle also stays tapped down. I, mm-hmm. I, I think if it tapped both creatures, and then their stayed locked down for an untapped step, and the Dragon Turtle got to untap, then I'd be interested. But uh, like, well, I think about... Get to play- kinda, you get to you get to kind of cheat on it, right? Like you do it at the end of their turn or whatever, and then your untap step happens, and then theirs comes up, and they don't untap. So like, yeah, you and then you and finally untap the the following turn. So yeah. you you still untap yours first, but all you like, all you've done is lock down presumably a bigger creature, right? Like you know, just compare it to a three five flash. Like think about what the ability adds. Yeah, if you, you're I talking mean, about tapping down a smaller creature, well, I'd rather just ambush it in combat and get my my two for one because you know flash creatures can often be a necrotal. And if I'm tapping down a bigger creature, then if I if I if I want to buy time, then I want my dragon turtle to be doing other things while the bigger creature is locked down. Because as soon as the bigger creature is untapped, then you know I'm behind again. So my dragon turtle is getting maybe an attack in 
uh, but it's not getting a block in on something else before I have to really, you know, start thinking about the bigger creature again. So it honestly reads to me like this ability actually makes the card worse than just one blue, blue, three, five flash, which is kind of sad. Um, and I would be much more into the card if it, you know, locked down their creature for a turn, but only uh, tapped its, itself uh, f- for the initial trigger. Okay, yeah, definitely can see that. Uh, a card that got a little bit of press when it got kind of previewed here. This one's a little interesting. This one's called Wish. So it's two and a red sorcery. You may play a card you own from outside the game this turn. Now, when you hear that the first time, the first thing that comes to mind is I'm like, how is this one not better than all the other ones ever made? It doesn't have a restriction of any kind, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you have to play it this turn is the big deal. So it has none of the other uh, restrictions the other one have where, like, it doesn't have to be an instant, it doesn't have to be a sorcery, it doesn't have to be, a, you know, a multicolored card, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to play the card this turn. Yeah, and that's an interesting restriction because when you think about wishes that I've seen play recently, primarily the Fae and Granted, like there are a lot of times where this would just be that but better. It would cost one less and it can get anything, whereas that was only non-creature, right? But there are also situations where you just cast Granted on turn four with your uh, you know Clover in play and got two cards to set you up on later turns. Uh, so how much, it, it, you know, so you, you have a scenario where in the comparison, you know, Wish is better in certain times, Faye is better in, in other times, where does the balance lie? And usually in that situation, the difference between the two cards then is going to be pretty small, and granted has been a pretty good card. Uh, that said, worse since Lucky Clover was banned. Um, but I, I, this is a card I, I think is above par, to see play in constructed decks, obviously you want to play it with a low curve. Like you're, you know, there, this, that's the sort of restriction, the secret restriction, right? You know, it, it reads like there's none, but you can't really be wishing for like Ugin with this card because that's an 11 mana play, so it's almost never going to happen. Uh, so you're really wishing for cheap cards all the time with it. Uh, it does say play, so you're probably going to have a land in your sideboard in case you just need to pay three mana for a land drop. Um, you know, sad to do that, but nice to have the option. Uh, but the, I'm, I, this is a card that I, th- I think it reads really simply, but it's going to be more complicated than that. I think a lot of people are going to mistakenly put too many expensive cards in their wish boards, uh, and they really are going to need to, to restrain themselves and be very disciplined building around it. But I think it's pretty powerful if you're, if you do that. All right. I can definitely see that. Other than that, like, was there any other cards that you really wanted to talk about on, uh, today's show yeah there's uh, i th- guess there's two that i like uh was one of them the werewolf pack leader yep that's the first one all right so this is the one of one of the other ones i want to talk i missed it it's green green for a three three creature human werewolf um whenever um this attacks if you attacked with it has the pack tactics like you're talking about if you attack the creatures with total power six or greater draw a card this combat and then it has the ability of three and a uh, three and a green until in a turn um this has base power toughness five three uh, gains trample and isn't a human. Tell me where the drawback is on this card, Ross. I'm not seeing it. Yeah, it's it's not there. This is just a solid rate creature. Uh, you know, d- does a lot of good things. Gives your aggro deck a, a little bit of a mana sink. Sometimes you'll draw a card or two off of it, but you're you don't really need to depend on that. You know, we saw mono green aggro play the the Barkhide troll back when that was legal. I think this card compares favorably with that as far as two mana three threes with upside go. 
Um, so uh, yeah, I just you know as long as there is an aggressive green deck, this card has a home and is certain like just very obviously above board, but not not the flashiest card. It's just a solid creature. Yeah, I think it's really good. It's also not legendary, so the fact that like you can double up on these and the ha- and then have them trigger each other for drawing cards is yeah. actually pretty cool. Yeah, so when you draw two and they both attack, you draw two cards. Really, yeah, yeah good point. The fact, be, it being on the legendary, which is you know far from a given in this set, uh, very very important to that yeah, card's know, power. Right? Uh, what was the last one you wanted to play? It or is talk about Frog Hemoth, oh, the best named card in the set. It's a three GG four four frog horror with trample and haste. And whenever oh, yeah, this card's sweet. Yeah. yeah, whenever Frog Hemoth deals combat damage to a player, exile up to that many target cards from their graveyard. Put a plus one, plus one, plus one counter on Frog Hemoth for each creature card exiled this way, and you gain one life for each non-creature card exiled this way. Another, you know, solid rate. Um, you know, haste, really powerful ability. Trample, solid ability, and then. Like I said, uh, you know, earlier, incidental graveyard hate is something that most decks in standard are after these days, uh, and this is certainly a good a good way to go about it. Card can keep you know scaling, getting bigger and bigger. So it's going to be hard to like you know, especially because it it, it has haste. You're usually going to be able to find spots where it can attack and you'll get two cards out of it, and maybe then you make it a six six, and now this card can still rumble with like Elder Gargaroth. They play that, uh, and maybe eventually outpace it. But uh, just a uh, just a, another solid rate card, and I I'm always on the lookout for for that incidental graveyard hate now, and, and this is another way good way of putting it into your deck. Yeah, I definitely like this card a lot. When I read it on the on the, uh, the spoiler river, you know, like you said, big body, really good attacking planeswalkers too. Uh, don't forget that you know these bigger haste green creatures always have a good job of killing planeswalkers out of control decks. You know, it's very good to finish all. Like this is a really really good follow up to a sweeper. As well, you know, you put it sweeps your board, you like play this, attack you, remove a bunch of stuff from your graveyard. My thing's a huge threat now. You have to answer this again. Yeah. Kind of thing. And then I might have more of this stuff coming behind. You know, like I could already envision the, the, like the mono green aggro deck with like this and a couple of the other cheap things, the three, three creature that we were talking about earlier. This helps, you know, trigger pack tactics really well. You know, you, they might think, oh, they're not going to be able to draw cards from They've only got a 3-3 three, three in play, and you're like, well, play this Hasting 4-4. Four, four, four. You're also probably going to have, uh, what is it, Voran clicks in this deck as well. Lots of ways to just attack your opponent every turn no matter whether they kill your creatures or not and uh yeah lots to like about this card not a lot to dislike so really cool one for sure okay uh you know those are the only two that that i want to talk about that you missed uh in the initial set so if you've got any more uh we can talk about those or we can uh move on and get some mailbag stuff done yeah let's let's save some more stuff for next week also i'm getting a little tired so let's get a few uh we had no mailbag today we've got a little bit of overrated underrated uh, kind of caught up on. Let me find out where we are. Um, so, okay. I got one here. All right, so Cathal says, The claim, if your deck didn't get any upgrades from MH2, it is unplayable. That is definitely very overrated. Uh, you don't, you didn't have to get a card out of MH2 to be um, for your deck to be more playable, but it does help. Uh, because I, I try to think of all the good decks. I think all of them did get cards. Out of MH2. Yeah, I wouldn't... Besides Eldrazi Tron. Eldrazi... Well, no, it's playing Ursa Saga, so... Yeah. Um, I think generally every good deck is playing a card from MH2, so that's probably just true. It's probably just true. Okay, sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rubber Duck Sauce, great, great name, by the way, says, never-ending preview season. I'm going to go with overrated, even though it helps us with content creation, but... When everything is special, nothing is special. 
So like, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of, what's the word I'm looking for here? I'm getting kind of like spoiler hungover. Yeah. Oh, it's never ending. Previous season is vastly, um, overrated. It's awful. Um, it's actually like, it's gotten to the point where like, you know, for years, previous season was our bread and butter as content creators. And I think that's changing now. Like there's just too much of it. And there's only so much like preview season content people want to, to consume. Um, so even, even that was always the best part of preview season from my perspective. And even that is now getting, uh, you know, to be too satiated. So yeah, I, I dislike it and I would like them to stop. Very good use of the word satiated, by the way. I like that one a lot. Um, all right. Uh, I actually meant to say the word saturated. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah i was gonna say because satiated is like being full yeah and like yeah i meant yeah. saturated that happens sure. sometimes but i was saying it was, it was an interesting use of the words uh satiated so it's like when you're done with a meal and you're like you feel yeah. very but it's it's a content it's a it's a that word connotes contentness and that's not what i have i'm not content i'm ba- i'm rarely content tannin <laughs> i was just gonna say it's it's like a, it's a word that is mostly used with eating is the most times that I've seen with that. It also reminds me of the word. I don't know why, but whenever I think of that word, I also think of the word mastication, which is like the act of chewing. Yeah, whatever, pretty much. So anyway, just showing off my vocabulary. You get to show off yours last week. So anyway, um, Kafal says tap water. And I'm going to say this one for me is underrated because of where I live. I have some of the best tap water in the entire country yeah. uh, where I live. So uh, I think it's underrated here. Yeah, vastly underrated. Uh, you know, generally your tap water is very safe. A lot of people like freak out over it and go nothing but bottled water. Oftentimes, bottled water is literally just rebottled tap water. Um, yep. You know, ta- tap water goes under a lot more regulations than that bottled water does. I know some areas obviously like don't have good tap water. Flint, Michigan, get them some fucking clean water, you pieces of shit. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, please, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, so uh, t- tap water is great. I also like. Some people are just obsessed with drinking only the fucking coldest ice water they possibly can. And, like, I don't mind just drinking tap water that's lukewarm. Um, So, yeah, tap water, very underrated. I'm drinking some right now. My dog knows the difference between tap water and filtered water. And when I, unless she's, like, like, starving, unless she's super thirsty, she will literally give me this look when I try to give her water out of the tap. And I have to go over, dump it out go to the fridge, use the filtered water, and then she will drink cold filtered water. She's so bougie. By the way, they did it again, Ross. I'm loving this. Uh, the next one is from Joe Mistringles. They say bottled water. Hold on. I have one more point about a tap water, and it's that the fluoridation of tap water is also one of the greatest public health triumphs of the 20th century. So sure. another another win. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, Joe, Mr. English, we kind of answered this in a little bit. It's bottled water. I'm going to go with slightly overrated. Of vastly overrated. People get like all up in arms about like what brand of bottled water. It's all basically the same. I'll I'll give you that Dasani sucks. Okay. Yeah. That's the only (laughs) one I'll give you. All right. Britt Wagner, our lovely editor, says sparkling water. Overrated. Awful. Awful. Yeah. If you try to give me sparkling water, I'm going to throw it in your face. Joe, Mr. English 22 says alcoholic seltzer waters. Example, White Claws. Ross has seen me try a White Claw. I'm going to go with massively overrated. They're, I, I won't say they're massively overrated. Like I, I've had I've had a couple and they're they're drinkable, but they're not very good. I, I don't I don't like seltzer like at all. Yeah, so. I, I would rather have uh, like a cider if you want something oh, sort of like fruity a or a little sweeter, like just just got a hard cider. I can't think about cider without thinking about our, our lovely uh, manager, Rick from BCW. So, yeah, big cider uh, fan. I miss you, Rick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
as we'll say, we got him that gift that year, yeah. All right, Cathal also says, Ross fixing his PC. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with underrated because it should have happened a long time ago. Um, overrated. <laughs> yeah, of course you're, you're going to say overrated. All right, uh, this next one, Ross, they're, they're so good at this. All right, here, here starts a new one all working together. Permeating Mass says hot tubs. I'm going to say Ross says underrated. I'm going to say overrated. And I'm going to be right. Yep. All right, uh, Joe, Mr. English says time machines. Um, get it? You get the, I love it. I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that's an that is an underrated movie, by the way. Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. I haven't seen the second one, but it's probably garbage. Yes, so. I assume the second one is garbage as well, and I've not seen it. The first one is awesome, but yeah, uh, and so like I thought it was going to be garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, t- so here here's the thing with time machines. I think the idea of like going back in time is a lot better than the reality of it, especially if you're like the. the if you're doing it in like a Terminator style way where you have this huge butterfly effect. Um, mm-hmm. So time machines probably, probably overrated. Okay. Um, I'm going to go slightly overrated because it's been, it's been done a lot and like the stories are always like, okay, so it's, it's cool in some instances, but like, it's like, when, when do you, like, where's this, where do you stop? Like when is, when does it end? Yeah. Kind of thing? And, and it's always like someone is unhappy with their life, like blames it on some thing that happened in the past and like gets an opportunity to, to do it all over again. And like some, and that they almost always like learn that, you know, their life was ha- fine just the way it was, you know, uh, or I guess in Hot Tub Time Machine, they actually just fix it and, you know, live this idyllic life after. And, uh, yeah, it's just not – It's it is, as a, like, a, a media trope and a storytelling trope, it's also not yeah. great. As, yeah, as a storytelling thing, that's where I have some of the biggest problems. I think, A, a lot of times it's very lazy because yeah. they just get to fix – they get to make all these problems. And instead of, like, writing more character arc and character development and a cool ending, they're like, oh, they just all went back in time and changed it. Or, B, it gets too confusing. Like, I watched Tenet recently, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just blew my mind. I was like, I mean, like, I, I, I pay attention pretty hard. It could keep up with most things, but I was like, this is just out there and stuff. So, um, and, like, you know, it, it, it's especially pointed to bring it up now because, like, two of the biggest or a bunch of the biggest stuff that we've been watching in, uh, like, pop culture recently, like, Marvel just ended its, like, first phase. It had a big thing with time, you know, them traveling through time. Same thing with DC and a bunch of other stuff recently. So, like, a lot of that going on. But that's just that's just writing so they can continue the storylines in different universes and stuff. So, like I said, some cool stuff happens, but generally overrated. Uh, Armiter himself just says time. Uh, time is definitely overrated, and it sucks. Nah, time is underrated. People like they just waste it's a lots of time. Man. You don't, you can't get any more of it, and you don't know how much of it you have. So you got to rate that real, real highly. Yeah, I'm not going to say this person's name, but they say uh, pitchers using foreign substances. <laughs> um, uh, probably underrated. It's probably been happening a lot for years. It has. Uh, and they're they're still yeah yeah. So I'm I would say underrated. Um. I don't know how to properly rate this because I see it from different angles. Um, the the problem that happened with it is just for quick for everybody like and, and they're I'm sure you've seen me sharing this stuff on Twitter about like you know these pit- pitchers like taking their pants off in the field because they're getting searched to see if they have foreign substances more often and they're cracking down on it is batters were actually okay with what the pitchers were mostly doing because it gave them better grip you know they threw the ball to the plate more it kept them from getting hurt or you know balls flying at their head and stuff like that blah 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 like it was good for the pitchers in most instances because it's hard to grip a baseball especially in certain weather 
Right. But like anybody in a competitive instance, you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And so people went too far with this. They started mixing uh, one of the substances with uh, sunscreen and it started getting like, I don't know if you've ever heard about spin rates and resolution rates and like, you know, how much the ball spins. So like they're throwing it harder and making it move more and stuff. So all, all kinds of crazy stuff started happening. So probably overrated. Um, I think, you know, obviously we want a level playing field, but you know, whatever there's, there's so much to it. Yeah. Um, Brent, Brent says pile shuffling overrated. Yeah, obviously. I think we've had that one before, but, uh, they're doing it again. Ross. I love it. Uh, Chase says the, the Cupid shuffle. Um, I don't like any of those like coordinated dance things overrated. Um, I'm going to go properly rated, but only if I've had a little, a few drinks in me. Yeah, I will participate in them if I've had a few drinks, but I generally don't like them. Ross, you and I are going to do that together the next time we get to kiss the homies goodnight. Uh, Fuzzy Dan says the truffle shuffle. Obviously Under, underrated. Underrated, every, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think I think we're going to end it right there. Uh, we got we got a couple saved up. I want to make sure we have some more for the for the next uh, for the next episode. But I really love when y'all do the. Uh, you don't have to do this. I want to put pressure on y'all, but really love it when y'all do the the sequential ones. It's, it's really yeah cool. the thematic runs. Yeah, definitely definitely liking it. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our sponsor. Ross just got a package in the mail, so did I. Of our new stuff from Barrister and right Man. Make sure me. you check. Yeah, make sure you check them out. Uh, Barrister Man Man with two ends. dot com. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on there. Ross is. Getting a good whiff of what you got. What did you get, by the way? Uh, just a, a lot of soap, hand soap and body soaps. I got some Cologne Rousse, which is one of my favorite scents. Uh, Waves, the sort of like oceany scent. I got a Minty Fresh. And then my hand soaps, one is Seville, which is my favorite scent. Right. And the other one is Tomato Leaf, which I'm excited Ooh. about. It's going to be, uh, you know, I, I'm i not exactly sure what, what that one's going to be about. I haven't I haven't cracked it open yet, but I'm excited to see that one. Yeah, make sure you tell me how that one is, because that, that sounds like something I might be interested in. A uh, lot more stuff than just soaps on their website. I'm a big fan of their any of their shaving kind of products. Uh, I'm a big fan of the brush along with the shaving butter that comes along with this. Uh, easiest and best shaves of my life. It's elongated the the links, uh, the, the lives of my razors as well. And it just helps my skin on my face quite a bit. Not to mention that you're going to smell better, you're going to look better, you're going to feel better, and it's just going to make you a better man. I think it's like a one of the one of the you know stupid commercial things they always say that kind of stuff. But like I said, uh, makes really great gifts for anybody in your family. Um, you know, this isn't isn't just a thing for guys. So uh, great gift, great gift for yourself. Make sure you check them out. It's barristerandman.com. Make sure to use code MTGRANTS for fifteen percent off of any of your orders. Ross, if people wanted to hear more about these lovely scents that you've gotten, and if you like them or not, where would they go? You can go to my Twitter account. I'm at Ross Hunnids. A uh, good place to just keep abreast of everything I'm doing magic-wise, and also a good place to ask me questions. Then there is my written content on Star City Games. My article this week is all about... It's actually it's sort of an extension of, of what we talked about on last week's episode about the emerging modern metagame, uh, obviously with, with some updated thoughts because I, I wrote it after the weekend's tournaments. Uh, so if you liked that episode, that article is going to be a good one for you. It's a longer article, too. I think it clocked in at about 3,000 words uh, as opposed to my normal, you know, 2,000 to 2,500-ish. Um, so uh, really just a, and and if you you haven't been following Modern and, and you're excited about MH2 and want to get back into it, that's also a, a good article for you. The, my articles go up on uh, Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. 
Um, and then there is my written content or non-written content, by which I mean versus live the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. Um, we just play whatever is relevant for competitive magic. We're going to be getting into Adventures in the Forgotten Realms uh, decks for the preview season. So if you're excited about this set, you're going to see us, you know, actually putting these cards to the test and, and getting that that first uh, sneak peek at what might, you know, emerge in the last throws of uh, Throne of Eldraine being in standard over the summer. Um and that show is Tuesday and Thursday from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, if you do watch us live, we take questions right from the audience, and it's a great time. If you can't catch us live, you can watch the VODs on the SCG YouTube channel. Uh, those go up the following day by 5 p.m. Eastern. They get uploaded. Um, and then finally, there is my stream on Twitch. Have uh, not been active for a while. Uh, I promise I will get back to it. Um, probably At this point, probably after I move. I'm actually moving in July. Um to a different place, still in Roanoke, but a different place in Roanoke. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll probably set things up there and start it up again um, in the, uh, you know a month from now or so. But if you want to drop me a follow uh, so you get a notification when I do start that up again, I am uh, just my name, Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Uh, so that is it for me. Tannen, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. Lots of stuff to talk about on there, uh, or great pictures of my wonderful and beautiful dog. That's probably the main reason to follow. That's why Lots I follow of cool pictures of Benny. Yeah, exactly. No, that's the best reason. Not me, my dog. Anyway, and you can find me on Twitch under just Tannen Grace. Uh, not as active the last few weeks as I have been in the past, but not super. F- Big fan of what's going on on uh, Arena right now. I don't play much MTGO, but when the new set comes out and you know the D&D set comes out, I'll be drafting a bunch. So I'll be definitely streaming a ton of that. So you can make sure you check it out. And again, that's just Tan and Grace on Twitch. So give that a follow. Um, as for the the cast itself, make sure you follow us on Twitter under MTG Rants. Uh, we have a Discord that's popping off quite a bit in there. Lots of really cool things going on there. Lots of discussions going on there. Well, Magic, magic decks, stuff like that. Sports, video games, TVs, movies, pets, food, music, all kinds of stuff. Memes, all the, all the things you could ever want. And uh, we do have a patron-only section in there where you get a little special treatment from Ross and myself, along with uh, getting to hang out with those people. You get to do uh, a particular mailbag submissions. We can also do episodes just for patrons as well, as long as, uh, sorry, as well as the, uh, I guess, present like, what would you say? The, the gift that we've given out to some of our patrons so far, we do have a play mat uh, that we've been giving out to a few people. They're out in the wild, and I think we're getting a second shipment of them sometime soon. That's more Brent's department than mine. I don't know the exact dates and stuff on that, but we went through the trial run. It's working out well, and we're going to keep We'll update coming, you so. when we know more. Yeah, which, I mean, it's us. Don't, don't, don't expect it to be, like, tomorrow. <laughs> but I'll definitely try to make sure I, I get the, the exact answer for that for the next show. But anyway, thanks for listening. We appreciate everyone who listens, everyone who um, supports us in any way, shape, or form. So make sure that you check out our sponsor, Bear Sharon Man, like we said. Make sure you check out our stuff on, on Twitter and our patrons and our Discord, stuff like that. So anyway, we'll see you all next week with what I assume would be the full set of D&D. And maybe we'll just go ahead and move right into our top eight episode next week. So anyway, make sure you don't want to miss that. And goodbye. <laughs>